Hello, everybody. All right, so it is a Wednesday night. Feels like a Tuesday, though. And that's just the way that these short weeks go. You know what the best thing is? That 4th of July is on a Tuesday. So that's going to break up the week. I don't care when the hell the days off come. Just make sure that they're not on the weekend. Let's break up these work weeks. It makes it so much more exciting. All right. Ladies and gents, I welcome you all for this May 31st engagement over here in New York. Greetings to you all if you're watching on quitefrankly.tv. You're probably watching on YouTube, on Rumble, on Twitch, DLive, Theta. Rockfin, for some reason, is not responding to me right now, which is kind of upsetting because I remember tonight. Some nights I forget to press launch, and that's my fault, but not tonight. And um, so we'll figure that out sometime soon. But we're going to have a wonderful evening. And I want to say a couple of announcements before I introduce you to our guests. I'm sure everybody, many of you out there already know. Uh, I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank Wise Wolf Gold and Silver. And I want to thank BlueMonsterPrep.com. Both can be found on the affiliates page on QuiteFrankly.tv. But Blue Monster, man, oh, man. Solar power generators is the thing that I'm looking into right now for myself, saving up a little bit of money, some couch cushion change every once in a while, and one day I'll be able to go and take it off on layaway. Nobody has layaway anymore. Emergency food, emergency drinking water, filtration, gas masks, heirloom seeds, two-way radios, whatever you need, get to Blue Monster Prep because not only do they have everything, but they also have the best customer service in the world. You might be able to find somebody that matches them, but nobody will beat them. They are amazing, and they're Franklys. They are of the audience, so you're going to find nothing but the best of the best treatment from them. So, uh, other than that, just a one last big reminder, tomorrow is Book Club, the spring session for Book Club. That is June 1st, and we are reading Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella. It's going to be a nice four-week relaxation, vacation for the mind. Nothing too heavy. Brave New World made us all want to kill ourselves in a lighthouse. And, uh, and, just, and just say to hell with it. <laughs> Whatever. And then, uh, but there's even more coming this year. So I hope you jump in on it. Charlie Robinson is the co-host for this round. And it'll be good. Maybe tonight's guest will be a, a, a book club co-host of mine down the down the line somewhere we're going to talk to her about it um and i think that's all i have for you right now so tonight we've got mel k in the studio the host of the mel k show she is it, it i mean but the the show is just a a little snippet of what she does because she's everywhere <laughs> i mean she's she's everywhere every time i turn around she's in front of a huge crowd somewhere at some kind of a convention i don't mel i don't even know that these things happen <laughs> all of a sudden you're in front of another big crowd and i'm like what the hell is this now where are these conventions i, I i'm not seeing them in new york obviously right. but jeez yeah it's a, the truth is that i'll go anywhere that i feel like people are receptive they're motivated they get what's going on they want you know to hear about things they want to learn so you know i've been to so many so many different groups and it's always good to switch it up uh, i've been to libertarian conventions i've been to you know turning point cpac 
Zodiac reawakening. But I go to small things, too. I'm going to the villages uh, this month to uh, meet with a lot of retirees to talk about what's going on in the world. So, you know, for me, it's really I, the, the speaking part is one thing. And I have a background like that. It's not hard for me to get on stage and speak. But uh, the best part is actually just meeting the people and talking to people and hearing their stories. And people just they were so isolated that when they get in this environment, they feel around like minded folks. They're just so excited to be there it's, it's such a high well i know that you're going to be in 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 austin yeah uh tracy's going to be in austin for the pandemic three premiere with mickey willis yeah. uh, I, I was unable to get him on the show before the premiere but maybe after uh, and i know he was on your show recently yeah um i know you're also going to be in what uh in tennessee yeah we're going uh we're jumping one to another to another and then we're going to branson so we have uh, we are we are traveling a lot in the next uh, two weeks. You've got to at the Tennessee engagement. I know a couple of people that are going to be speaking there. Yeah, I know Jay Dyer is going to be there, but you also got to talk to Jay Gulinello, our nutritionist. Oh, he's going to be there too. He's yeah, be there. and they keep adding people. So like uh, Sunday is the day that I'm going to be speaking, and uh, we'll uh, we're jumping around from one thing to the next. And I like I like that crowd because I like the idea of a festival. Yeah, with it with music and dancing and food and speakers of all different kinds so you know that that's a really exciting one. Oh, there's so much to talk about there really is yeah I, and, and and without you know i don't want to without harping too much on it but i'm so happy that you have uh not only that you get around but you are out getting outside you're leaving new york oh yeah this is your last media date in new york before you leave and you disown yourself <laughs> you, that's it yeah well, it's time. You know, I live in Manhattan and uh, I've watched the slow decay. And during the lockdowns, as I told you, uh, we watched you all the time and Amazing Polly and some other people. But once you got outside of our, our bubble, you know, people in New York are not... Uh, something's happened there. And, and for, of all the places that we've been, New York City is one place where people are truly... Um, not only do they not really get what's going on but they're they're detached and i've watched it grow and grow and there's a lot of the trump derangement syndrome so you can't even have a conversation about anything without them defaulting to that mm -hmm. and you know i grew up uh, in and out of uh you know new york my whole life and it's just it seems to me that everyone there is addicted to conflict addicted to all, like always on the stance of fighting or they're total zombies and um and it's really been very sad to watch the deterioration of new york city yeah, I know we're on and we're on the back porch. Yeah. Um. So I mean, not too close, but it, you start start just wondering. And I always, I always, I always hope against hope that it's really a perspective thing. That you know, there's always shitty, unsafe places to be, but and then it's not really that bad. But some from 2020 to see financially what's going on the year that the police all over the country started taking knees and letting things just run amok and then i i, I don't i i just don't know i know exactly what you're talking about with the kind of apathy where yeah. people go from apathetic to murderous rage yeah. in it, it's like zero to 60 and it there's very very few in between uh at least around here because i we're, we're more so zombie like yeah. You might have seen it outside. People just shuffling around. Uh, most people have taken their masks off by now, but uh, not all of them. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, up. the other thing in New York, people have to understand, not only the defund the police, but a lot of the businesses did not come back. I feel like by design, but a lot of the, uh, you know, the things that the bodegas, the small hardware stores, the small, you know, even lots of dry cleaners, all these things that just were New York to me yeah. are gone. And, and there's a lot of vacancies there. And there's also a lot of, um, you know, it seems to me, I don't know what happened, but it appears that a lot of the small, like mom and pop type uh, rental rent, rentals are now, they gave them up. They lost them, I guess, to the bank. So they're saying that the prices are so high, but the people have not come back and the people on the streets don't look the same. I remember when I was young, like my first job, I worked at MTV and I remember like walking to work and everyone looked so cosmopolitan and on their way somewhere. And I was New York City and now it's like so lethargic and the people don't even look like they're from there. Mostly everyone looks like tourists except for Midtown East right now where everyone looks like they just got off a bus from Texas. <laughs> and then the other thing is they made pot legal so every a lot of those places that went out of business are now pot stores there's like really? two a block yeah it smells like that there's a there's an air freshener of, of pot that's constantly blowing in manhattan mm. it's crazy it smells that smells that, <laughs> <laughs> i know rob but, says the same thing every day listen it, it would wear off it would it would <laughs> it's a novelty that would wear thin i would it would wear thin with me quick because it's one thing it's one thing to just be, you know, to know it's out there if you want it. Right. It's another thing for it to become such an, a, a huge driver and to know that it is really just a, a political ploy. That the, all, all the taxes and the regulations and the red tape on that, it's only done by states who just, they're, they're so cash poor right. that they need something. And of course, they need to fill those vacancies. Right. So who the hell knows? Um, oh, we got so much to get around to. Hey, what do you think about this? I got a little. I got a couple of things here in the grab bag. Okay, cool. Um, FBI director speaks with congressional Republicans about Biden document dispute. Um, now he's this Ray. This is. I'm going to try to curse as little as I can around you. I feel like what? a. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've, I've got to clean up just a little bit for you tonight. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I, I've been promising everybody that. But FBI Director Christopher Wray on Wednesday offered to let House Oversight Chair James Comer view an internal law enforcement document at the FBI headquarters that Republicans believe will shed light on an allegation that then-Vice President Joe Biden was involved in a criminal scheme with foreign nationals. Uh, the chairman said on, on uh, in a statement, Comer had subpoenaed the document and threatened Ray with contempt of Congress proceedings if Ray did not provide it. According to a statement, Comer told Ray during a telephone call Wednesday afternoon that the accommodation may not be sufficient to stop the proceedings at this point. While Director Ray, this is a quote, after a month of refusing to even acknowledge that the form existed, had offered to allow us to see the document in person at FBI headquarters, we have been cleared that anything short of producing these documents to the House Oversight Committee is not in compliance with the subpoena. I, you know, I was talking this morning, Mel, with, um, on the morning show, we had, we had this FBI agent that came on in, his name was Garrett, and, and he was talking about how, when he was before this oversight committee a few weeks ago, how he would have, um, he would have given the advice to any future whistleblowers to don't come forward, to give your stuff to somebody who's already on the record and just save your life because lives are being destroyed yeah. and these are the people these are the people who are are running the show what the hell are you going what it's it's really uh it's a it's a mess yeah you know i've been talking a lot lately about 
uh, I have I have this idea. I'm working on a book, Americans Anonymous, about a, a recovery program <laughs> for American <laughs> citizens. And and the big part, you know, most people don't recover uh, until they go through something, which is a, a fourth step, which is a moral fearless inventory of, of the exact nature of your wrongs. And there's a, a saying in recovery: you're only as sick as your secrets. I feel like America is desperately ill That's and great. sick to the core. And it's our secrets. And this is what I think. I don't think Ray, like this is all, for me, I think the original sin of the, this coup that's happened, happened the day they shot JFK in front of all of us mm. and put us into a trauma programming kind of mindset and everything since then. Because if you look back to what happened with JFK and uh, Fletcher Prouty, at least, who, who helped garrison the only person who had the guts to go out and try to charge uh, our own government for being involved, uh, Fletcher Prouty said, you know, you have to look at why they killed him, who benefited, and then even bigger, who benefited from the cover-up. And I feel like it's been one cover-up after another cover-up after another cover-up, because he, when he went in something I read that he wrote, he said that everyone at the Pentagon and the FBI and basically the executive branch knew that the Warren report was a lie. And they knew that it, what what really happened, a lot of people did, but the senior executive service and other ones just went forward as if they didn't know. So if the original sin is all these people, then think about hiring people to keep replacing people, to keep replacing people, but the goal is always to continue burying the truth. And now we're at a place where we have decades of lies and cover-ups and false flags and and you know CIA black ops and they they're continually covering up and we haven't seen no one brought to justice we've had no transparency and I just think that it's the same group I don't think it's everyone but I think it's this core group and it's always about covering up the next covering up covering up who's benefiting from the cover-up because you know, it's funny, I see this with Ray. Again, I was talking to Kyle Serafin, I know he's been on your show too, and I was saying it's so it's so bizarre because you would think that to be the head of the FBI, you would have had to work your way through the FBI. But that's not what happened. They groomed Ray to do this. And at the end of the day, we, we have to really look at this and say, you know, why are they choosing the people they're choosing? And why don't the people that when they get in power ever want to do anything about anything? And And that's the problem. I just feel like... The cover-ups have been worse than the crimes, and then they hire people that they can make sure will continue to cover up the original sin. And I, I think that's where we are. We need to have full transparency all the way back and, uh, and really, as American citizens, step up and say, you know what, we're taking back our country, but that re requires us to be truly honest about how we got here. I know, and, th and that's why I think it's really just going to be... Uh... You ever read The Stand? Yes. Okay. You know, you know when uh, Captain Trips is really just ravaging everybody, and it's even killing a lot of the government officials. Yes. And uh, some of these military men, they're dying. They're 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 breathing their last breaths because the virus is killing them. And even there in that state, they refuse to right. ever come forward about what's going on because they referred to the they referred referred to government or the military this this industrial complex there right. as their mother. It, the mother's been good to us and they protect her to the end okay. um so it, i i just don't know i always say well hey i, I guess at some point the the uh, the game board is going to get cleared at some point it's just going to get cleared because to be able to go through this mess and untangle all the knots because you have to go through generations of war crimes okay. against ourselves and all that stuff to just to get to JFK, yeah. And then I mean, there's there's so much more even before that. But 
what a wonderful um, way of putting it. You know, we're only as sick as our as our secrets. And boy, do we we have a lot. We have a lot of this is fucked up. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it's it's a real recovery. This is somebody who doesn't get it on the first or fifth time. You know, has to go back to uh, his promises at least seventeen times. But uh, the truth of the matter is that you know we the people are the only answer. Thank God for shows like yours and other shows, and uh, we have lots of mutual friends that do this because now we actually have a shot. Because this is a real problem. This is the disinformation, misinformation, all of this. You know, the the uh, and and you know this, and I know this that this is not new. Uh, Obama had a disinformation, misinformation czar named Cass Sonstein. His wife, scarily enough, is running uh, USAID, one of the operations that does this all over the world. And and I firmly believe all those people are still uh, manipulating, and that we in America are in a color revolution, and we need to realize that and look at it at, for what it is, and stand up and say no. And that's why I'm saying I, I don't I've changed so much over this journey. But if we are going to continue, this is why I say uh, Americans Anonymous, you've got to take off your red and your blue and your throw your ego and leave it at the door and go in the church basement and walk in there and say, you know, Drink what? The cheap coffee. Yeah. And say, you know what? In this room, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to recover. We're trying to save our futures individually first and our families first and then all together, society as a whole. And I think that's the only way forward. But like you said, um, you know, it, it goes in, in all the way back and people have a real hard time. I, like anyone that's in recovery, <laughs> I feel like America needs a recovery. It's it, the hardest part uh, is the first step, which is admitting that there's a problem and admitting that you are the problem and that you have the power. So people that are getting out there, and I think more and more are, um, and I think we're in a great place to actually say, you know, this this forcing of being on two sides ha is a big problem, and, and it's getting worse. And I don't, I say to people, if you take a pen to paper and you write down how you feel about everything, where we are, where we're going, our family, our future, you're not gonna feel like you identify with either of these groups we're being forced no, to choose. No, definitely not. You know? Definitely not. And you, and, and you brought up you brought up um, Cass Sunstein and and that wonderful wife of his. Uh, you know she um, what what Samantha Powers is doing right now. Not only in um, now she's in in the other the other two Kosovo. The, yeah, Kosovo and and Serbia. Uh, she's she's palling around there too. But the the Dia app, what right. what they're what they're rolling out as no doubt about it. It's a it's a blueprint for what they're doing with us. Right. What they want to do with us. Um, you want to talk about misinformation, dis and mal? I mean, it's it, they, they never stop. They never stop. They they shrug you off, and I just want somebody to grab them by the scruff of the neck. Finally, I just want these runts to get grabbed by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, and just, you know, it's I, I feel like we're on the we're, we're at Jones Beach right now, and there's a bunch of little shits kicking sand in our face and we're like where the fuck are the parents right oh yeah totally. what the hell is yeah, I know this that where, the, where are your you know yeah. they're just I'm just getting so upset yeah I know but this is also where I think we uh, we have a shot because you know I do believe especially because I have been on the road I've been in the 20 28 states physically in the last two and a half years and we drive so we stop in between Rob only likes to drive four hours so we're, we've been a, a lot of places and we go in and we you know we I do my hotel tonight I find like the nicest 
deal in town. And then uh, we ask, like, what's the local hangout? We don't want the nicest restaurant. We don't want that. We want to go where we know people will be, kind of like the cheers of the area. And we'll go sit at the bar and we'll talk. I have yet in two and a half years sit down next to people that don't, A, know that D.C. and our government is totally... Uh, not for the people is a disaster. They don't know what to do, but they know something's very wrong. And I, this is from all walks of life, every level, every every division. Mm. And then two, that people sit there and say, well, you know, well, what can we do? We can do nothing. Well, right now, what we can do is to stop acting like there's nothing we can do and start acting like, uh, like you talked about, you talk a lot about getting involved locally. You talked about uh, you have a family member who is on a school board now. So we are seeing a lot of that. And I also think left of center and right of center, if you take away like the, the issues that they continue to divide us with, really agree on a lot more. And diversity is being obviously, uh, you know, transformed into no, we actually, what we do agree on is really what makes America strong. So I just think that there's common ground right now to be uh, found that wasn't even six months ago. Yeah, you know, I think um, when it comes to common ground and left and right and what the center even is, which <laughs> the, the center is the, the center is the, the Constitution over there, exactly. which is so far to the right of both parties, you know, uh, to, to think that, oh, well, I'm a moderate. Like, oh, I always walk away from the moderates <laughs> because like, oh, you're, right. you're in between these two parties and you think that you've got the, the level head, please. Right, right. But, you know, I... Um, I think, okay, Saturday night. Ah, you know what? Let's just get this show started. Hold on. I'm gonna get the show. Let's 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 get the show started. We're on a really good run right here. I gotta th talk to you about what I, I learned Saturday night with our wonderful uh, topic that we had. It was it was the uh, greatest adventures you've ever been on, oh. and what people learned. What people usually take away from all these adventures, especially when they're when they're at the mercy of strangers in this country, whether they're hitchhiking, whether you know, and we're talking about years in the past too, just going on these long, long trips alone, no resources. It's always about what they what they find out about people's hearts. Now, separating the hearts from what we have been groomed to understand educationally two different things and i want to do that in just a second ladies and gentlemen mel k is in the studio and we will be right back help me get this out far and wide i have tweeted out and truthed out and gabbed out and everything all of the live links for tonight so if you could um syndicate me tonight that would be wonderful let's get some more people watching who's never seen before and uh, we will be back in just a moment have you any idea how successful censorship is on tv don't don't know the answer Hmm. Successful, isn't it? <laughs> you let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride!
Mel, what does it feel like being on this side of the uh, of the show now? Oh, I love it. I just think you're the greatest. So it's so fun to be here in your real space and see how that it's even better than I thought it would be. <laughs> I th- oh, I'm happy. That's the. I really. I'm. I'm glad when people have that experience. Yeah, I'm glad. Awesome. I'm glad you're here. Me too. And you always treated me so nice on your show, and I was like, oh, well, you know, New York. But <laughs> but I knew that you were in transition because you're never in New York. Yeah. Especially the last uh, year or so. So uh, it's so great that you're here. And I'm, and I'm glad when, when people get the, the behind-the-scenes glimpse of how <laughs> how the uh, sausage is made. Exactly. But you know what I was talking about Friday, Saturday night? We were discussing people's greatest adventures they've ever been on. We had some doozies that night. But what they always talked about is the, the, the heart in Americans that are always revealed to them when it comes down to looking into a person's eyes, being in need, anything. People just, it's a, it's a nation full of just amazing, good-hearted people. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, as far as being able to detox from what has been done to us in a civic sense is something altogether totally different. I mean, there's, there's very little perspective as to how go- our government was designed to work, and, and it's, not, it's not even just one of those things where it's just... I don't know, a game that was being played. It was designed so that human liberty, ambition, anything like that can be expressed in the most intimate of ways on more and more decentralized and local levels. Right. So that uh, you can never, you never find yourself in a position, hopefully, uh, if you can preserve that, um, that environment, where a centralized power is trying to make everything one size fits all, which we are living with the end result of that shit. Right. So I, I guess that's really um, that's really my whole thing. Like when when Brandon Strzok of of Walk Away right. started getting really popular, mm-hmm. and I was talk, I said I said Brandon, you know this is this is great stuff here that you're you're getting people who are just starting to sniff the air that that gut feeling that we all have. Yeah, that usually is not snuffed out. Sometimes we won't be able to articulate what's wrong, but we can feel something wrong. Mm-hmm. And when people realize, hey, you know what, uh, the people I vote for are fucking lunatics <laughs> that's only the first step yeah i mean walking away from a, a a gaggle of 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 lemmings is just the first step now where's the edge where's the continued education right that's the real thing yeah and i i honestly though believe right now we are at a, at a very unique period in time where people of all of all ilks of all backgrounds of all socioeconomic you know ethnicity whatever really get that Besides all the all the infighting and the the controlled demolition of America and everyone at you know the the factions, I think most people really feel like their personal life and their future is in danger because of these people. I, I just, for me, honestly, what I believe has happened in our country is that we have an oligarch of billionaires uh, that are globalists that are aligned with globalists. They are on neither side. They are actually on both sides, but they're not really on sides at all. They've already given up on America. And that they've slowly but surely, through their NGOs and foundations and, and alliances and groups, have uh, have set us up to be fighting amongst ourselves while we're not looking at them. And I think more and more people are looking at them. And uh, and I, I really do believe that we, the people of the United States, have a shot to uh, to remove ourselves from that system. And like you said, it is local, but it is also um, 
putting aside all of our preconceived ideas of what other people are, what other people think, and realize, you know, nobody really agrees with any of this. I, I think the real problem right now, and I hate this, is I, um, I think both parties, the way that they're set up are, and I believe this about Win Red and Act Blue and Red and Blue and all of it, uh, is that they are outdated. I, I just feel like this two-party system is dangerous. You know that George Washington was very against having parties mm -hmm. uh, because of what's happened now. And, and now it's like we're in this paradigm that the system is set up to fail constantly over and over and over. And it does over and over and over. And we have these two groups fighting each other, but they're really billion-dollar conglomerates that don't even think about us. And they don't really care who wins or loses because they're going to just continue making money well, they're also, off of us. They're also trying to find a way to get themselves back into proper orbit. Okay, the, 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 both of them are working together to right. get themselves back in the proper. I mean, just had Rich Barris on last yeah. night to talk about these things that were popping up with DeSantis and all that stuff. And um, and I was saying with with you know, actually, I should ask you about this. What, what do you what are your thoughts on? I mean, I expressed thoughts on Donald Trump last night, where I said that if um, if he did not win the primary. I'm already re I'm already pretty much over the whole voting for president thing. Yeah. But since he's out there, and since I know that we're, we would at least get some great television for four years, I I would definitely vote for him. Yeah. Why the hell not? Because you know at this point we're we're careening toward the brick wall, and I would love to maybe we can create some wind resistance. Yeah. You know before we hit, and I said I would never vote again because. If he is not given the nomination just because, hey, uh, I know 2020 uh, taught us enough about who they're going to crown king but and, and how they are willing to do it. But as far as even the nomination, when you're 40 points ahead of somebody, if he is lawfared off of right. the campaign trail and then conveniently Ron DeSantis, who otherwise has no shot in hell, is made the nominee for the party, it's like, I, it, it's done now. I had somebody email me, and I and I wanted to read this out there. Great. Uh, um, email uh, from Brian said, "Hey Frank, I just feel the opposite of your statements regarding Trump. I voted for him last time. I could vote for him in the primary, etc., because of all this and his crew. Uh, but because of all of this and all of his crew's trash talking and stuff, I can't stand it on top of his narcissism. He also makes some very bad decisions as president on personnel and policy and won't own up to it. There are a lot of people I know who feel the same way. I think Rich is missing it. This is from someone who hasn't voted for a Democrat since 1976 because Ford pardoned the draft dodgers. And I, now I said, my point about this, Mel, and I want to hear what you have to say, okay. is that even if Donald Trump, this is one man's opinion over here, but even if Donald Trump is objectively a bad candidate, statistically, he is unbeatable for the, the primary, especially in the primary. Therefore, if it is any situation that arises wherein he is prevented from getting that nomination, it is still, to me, proof positive that there is no longer anything left to have confidence in on, on that level, barring an incredible grassroots cleansing of state governments and all that stuff. Right. It's just, I, yeah. I, I just, I don't see it. If he's a bad candidate, and why would we be prevented from having our bad candidate? Right, Any right. Any prevention at this point says the game is totally over now it's over yeah i think the lawfare that they're about to spark on uh spring on us with uh 
uh, this Smith special prosecution, this lunatic in uh, Georgia, all this stuff. It's so it's so dangerous and ugly, and it's only again going to help him, in my opinion, uh, over and over. Um, but listen, I have a real problem lately too because I, um, you know, I of course voted for him. I, I worked with him for him when I was a kid, so uh, I've been in involved watching this family for decades, and I have to tell you. Um, uh, what I don't like right now is I don't think he has to be punching down. I don't think his group needs to. I think he should just be ignoring DeSantis. I think he should be ignoring McEnany. I think he should be ignoring everyone. I think what he should be talking about is what he's going to do. I think that there should be a plan. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know. I'm sure you've talked about it. My audience knows. A year before Trump, before the 2020 election, before COVID, I believe they started, there was something called the Transition Integrity Project. And mm -hmm. it was John Podesta, Michael Steele, all these hate Trump people. Uh, I, Norm Eisen's always in there. Brock was involved, all these people. And they came up with all the ways that Trump could win. And then they came up with teams and simulations of all the ways that they'd knock it down, which I believe the pandemic was involved in that too. But we had everything else was there. You know, they were going to do that. I would like right now for Trump and the people that he, I know because I, I am involved with a lot of these people, as you are, as Tracy is, I know that he is getting a lot of people around him to give him ideas. What he should be doing, in my opinion, right now is have a plan for the minute he wins, a, a transition uh, return to freedom, a transition project of his own. And that's where the focus should be. Stop. This is not 2016. This is not 2020. The country is damaged. We are we are we are in a psychological warfare that has traumatized and hurt so many people mentally, emotionally, psychologically. What we need is a plan for battle. And that's what I think he should be doing. He should have the people around him. We talked to this one great guy um, from the Pentagon who got taken down also uh, in the Michael Flynn nightmare. And uh, he was saying like, you know, let's have a 10-point plan. Just focus on what we're going to do the minute the election is won. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to gut the agencies. You're going to do things that you can do and then go from there. I just wish that he was putting out a message of leadership and would put his whatever happened to him, his ego, his his things against these people. And I, and I don't love how the people around him putting out these truth social things. You know, he's going to do what he's going to do. But I think right now it should be about what he's going to do for us. And, and I do know that he has good plans, and I do know that he has good people that are giving him ideas and, and coming out with these things, but that's what he should be doing. And, mm. and I feel like we're, we're leaderless right now. Uh, what he's doing is not, I just feel like if he stepped up into, the, into the, the void of leadership and actually was putting things out there, specific things that he's gonna do, which he's done from time to time, but then you get in the muck, and, and these two sides of DeSantis and Trump, they seem very, very, uh, this does not seem organic. This does not seem normal. I wouldn't be surprised if both sides are being paid by the same people, because what I do on my show is I follow the money, you know, probably like a little Arabella partners in there and some other people or NGOs are probably fomenting this on both sides. And I just, I just would really like Trump to take this moment to step up and be the leader that we all need. It's, uh, I have said um, I would love to see a lot more resources reallocated um, on the Trump side of things, because they do have this um, 
they, they don't need any help beating DeSantis. No. So they, I would love to see the um, the doubling and tripling down of infighting. Hey, if somebody if somebody makes a fool out of themselves, they're, they're fair game. They make themselves fair game to go and, and be clowned on. Yep. What whatever. But as far as the uh, the war being ra- waged, it's it's I don't know. It, it, to, it tunes me. I know what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> I know I know my strategy, my voting strategy. Right. If I'm going to pull the lever for one person or if I'm going to pull it n- not at all. Right. I know my strategy for for next November. So in the meantime, I it, I kind of get turned off to the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm, me you too. know, so that's that's just where I'm at. As far as as far as things that affect us locally though. For example, I want to know a little bit more about your perspective even though you're you know, this is pretty much like your New York exit interview yeah, here with me. It is, it but, is. <laughs> the migrants. I know um I've had uh, my my buddy the what's his name Leroy Press, viral NYC. He'll, yeah, he comes on to give us some you know man on the street He's kind great. of obser- uh, observations. The hotels by you. Is there any anything that's noticeable right there, or yeah. is everybody pretty compartmentalized? Well, I live right near there. I live near a lot of it is centralized in the 40s near uh, Grand Central. So a lot of those like the Roosevelt's right there and all of that. And I live uh, you know in the 50s uh, just north of that area and uh yeah it's everywhere and i have to tell you uh, what, what's very sad is that they are using these illegals um now now i i want to say something and I, I don't want people to get upset or scared about this but i i have a feeling i i know what this is about we we have the cloud proven strategy we have the you know what they're doing but i also believe that some i believe we are in a color revolution and the same demons within our own world and and the five eyes nations and you know the nato all the same the, the black ops people that do color revolutions all over the world are in we're in one now and we have to be very cognizant of that a lot of this is planned but what i'm seeing happening because i got somehow on this list of the um uh, democrat socialists of america which is what aoc and the whole crowd is you can take democrat off that's just to confuse people if you look at their website just like if you looked at blm's website in the beginning you'd say what does this have to do with black people this sounds like marxism same thing with the socialists uh democrat socialists so what I see happening is that BLM was a setup. You follow the money, you're going to see where the money was, where it went. That also includes Act Blue, but Arabella, all these same groups, these these dark money groups. But then BLM kind of died down. Then we had the Antifa. That kind of died down. Then we had the Women's March, which I still don't know what that was about. That kind of died down. Then we have now we have the LGBTQ plus thing, and it all includes peaceful protests that are really riots. It all includes violence, shaming, cancel culture, abuse, and then violence in the streets. What I'm seeing the messaging coming to these illegals through these, you know, these New York City text messages and the kiosks that are really watching us but put up messages all day long and they're all over the streets. So they're seeing these, obviously, and they're in Spanish now and they're in Mandarin or whatever. I believe that the um, they're setting up the illegals to um, to be the next group that wreaks havoc on our streets, because the messaging I'm seeing is you were promised all this stuff and you're not getting it. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that coming out of the 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 AOC, uh, you know, New York people. That's that, disconcerting. Yes, and I and I am seeing, and you're hearing them. Um, your friend that's taking the video is doing a great job. But if you go up and you speak to these people, they have court dates for 2027, 2025. Mm. The money that they got when they came in, they're staying at these hotels. Fifty percent of the hotels in New York City right now have illegals in them, but that's going to end. 
And this is all going to end just in time for probably ja late July, mid-July, August, when they usually do their great big riot, you know, thing. And I'm telling you that the message coming to these people through the NGOs right now, and we're right across from one of the archdioceses where we see lines of basically, you know, 18 to or maybe 16 to like 25-year-old men in line to get their, you know, their, their package, which has a bunch of stuff. That's going to run out. And I believe that the messaging, uh, that this is to cause uh, the next round of peaceful protest violence in, uh, in the cities. And, and it's very disturbing. And that's why we all have to really realize that they're being used even worse than we are. Oh, oh I, I never, I always circle back to that point because to, to talk about this without keeping that in, in perspective is to really become very lopsided um, and, and also to play into the bigger picture you know everything has you were talking about in the oh, the opening you were talking about original sins and then burying them under layers of crimes and cover-ups mm -hmm. and this is one of the things that they do a lot of i mean the original sin in this respect is it, it's part of a, a much bigger plan but to overwhelm us with with foreign nationals who are largely dependent largely illiterate in their their nations they don't have any allegiance over in fact many of them this is the best thing. I know many of them are told, hey, you know, you're, you're part of a big reconquering of America. Right. They took this land from you. We're going there. We're taking it back. And we're going to stick it to the white guys. And the, the best thing is that it's mostly white people who are sending them right. in as, as cannon fodder. Exactly. Uh, to help destroy um, what is a culture that would actually have really would have been a nice change from all the other despotic uh, governments that they lived under in Central and South America and the rest of the world because we know people are coming from over a hundred countries yes so it's always just about people who are don't know better who are being taken advantage of and turned into weapons I mean it's yeah. they are they're literally biological weapons because they are living and they're <laughs> they're meant to overwhelm a system that is really it's got nothing left to give no, and that's the point too. And, and we have to remember because I see some people that we uh, I follow a lot of people all over the world. I I've, I have like my my arsenal. I know Charlie Robinson says that too. It's getting smaller and smaller of who I can like even look at. But it is a fact that a lot of this has to do with the banking um, cabal, the the international banking cartel, and what they've done all these years with the IMF and the World Bank. And you know I always say that you know I'm a big person about and the UN. I think the UN is the biggest fraud committed on all uh, uh, we the people of all of our nations in the last hundred years but um, you know all these nations they've been uh, using our compassion our money our, our empathy our good feelings about wanting to help humanity through the UN and these other things UNESCO and IMF and the World Bank and they want to help developing nations and none of the nations have developed all that happens is they go there they steal the resources they put in a puppet president we got all the color revolutions all the black ops so these people are in places that should be thriving like all of their where they're coming from should be thriving. The only reason they're not is because the globalist and the banking cartel have kept it this way all this time to continue this cycle of um, of debt and and deprivation and uh, you know even in America, but certainly a lot of the places that people are talking about Guatemala and El Salvador and a lot of these places 
they should be thriving. Africa should be thriving. There's the money's available, the resources, the technology, the agriculture, everything is available. All you have to do is look at Israel to know that you could have thriving agriculture all over every desert. You could have all of this stuff. It's by design and it's blowing up in their faces, but we're the ones that are gonna pay the price. So right now, a lot of people are like, well, they come from places that it's our fault. No, it's not our fault. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. But there is a contingency that we, we keep looking at. A lot of people, that, a lot of people that used to be like conspiracy theory, it can't be true. No, it is true that there is a class of people, just like I say, all wars are bankers wars. This whole immigration thing is part of a war and it's a war on people and us and them. And, and we just really have to refocus on what's going on and how did this happen? Because there is, you know, Kamala Harris went down there, Samantha Power threw them all this more money to get to the root cause. The root cause is very obvious, you know, and, and I really think that at this point we have to do something about it. But I do believe that these people are being used and the, and the goal is, um, in my opinion, uh, violence upcoming and after that violence something in terms of uh, the UN and martial law and all of this nonsense and uh, at that point America will have been fully captured so we really have to work together to realize that you know this cannot happen and we have to know that they are already seeding them like every color revolution to rise up and feel that they are being oppressed in America as illegals yeah oh, well it, it, uh, what, um but when I really started, when I really started looking into this myself, because what you described is a lot of what, um, uh, what's his name, uh, John Perkins put yes. into the 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 Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and it's that that whole idea of corporatism as a way of conquering the world by making resource rich countries, you know, developing countries indebted. To developers, people who are going to come in and bring in energy, you know, build energy infrastructure. They want to be able to, and of course, you know, they they modernize the entire country uh, to the tune of however many hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars. And now the country defaults on its debt right. and says, "Okay, well, how can we pay it back?" Oh, I know. Just like China is doing to Africa right now, uh, we would love to have your ports. We would love to have some rights to your rare earth minerals. We'd love to have whatever. And all of a sudden, you start seeing countries falling apart right where um where they should be thriving but they are indebted they are slaves and they're being pretty much um, uh, scrapped and sold off piece by piece by people who you know want to take something from guatemala and sell it somewhere in saudi arabia and, and that's it now what all once all of those countries are have been i mean pillaged pillaged <laughs> and people are displaced and you know, from it just it just happens from the changing of guard and the changing of of, uh, of dictator and ruler and, and and puppet presidencies and puppet congresses and all that right. stuff. It creates situations where people just just like I want out of here. So you have the migrant crisis, which is of course another big part of the plan in yes. both hemispheres, right. because ultimately once they have everybody else begging, uh, everybody else you know really just. Um, I don't know, just torn apart. Then they want to over overwhelm us. Yeah, I mean that's just it. And then, um, and then you're talking about what did they do with the population? Because they don't care about the people in New York right now. They don't care about the people at all. Honestly, when I look at these people that are that are manipulating everything, they they seem to be panicking. 
That's the one thing that I feel like is happening. I feel like uh, this, uh, you know, Charlie calls it the octopus of global control. Great guy Ian Davis has put together a great uh, chart that kind of lays out who are these people, where are they coming from, what are the factions. I also believe that there's a faction above what we think, which is, you know, the UN, World Health Organization, you know, uh, IMF, all these people, and then the BIS, and then there's, there's, I think, even worse people above them. But they're a very small group of people worldwide because what people in America need to understand and I don't think the masses do, is that this is happening everywhere. Just like the COVID lockdowns, the pandemic went systematically everywhere, so is this with the migrants now and using my, human beings as weapons, which is what is happening. And um, for me, I just really feel like we need to continue to identify the real enemy. They, they are having us believe that each other are the enemy. With, with whatever new movement the, they are putting the money into, it's really more and more about distracting us from who they are. But I feel like there's more clear uh, vision and, and idea that this concept that it was a conspiracy theory, that there's a globalist elite billionaire class that you know are the global public-private partnership stakeholders have no authority that we've given them authority because they've told us to give them authority. And, and propaganda isn't just, you know, that there's weapons of mass destruction or that, you know, that uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, did something that every everyone else hasn't done. Propaganda is subtle and it's been going on so long and people aren't really taking the time to internally critically think about, you know what, it's such a small group that we need to organize in a different way than we have. We need to take our, our God-given innovation and ideas and creativity and figure out how to turn this ship around because nobody's doing it for us. And believe me, I was for a long time, I didn't know when I started this, I actually came out of Hollywood. I, my, I started going on shows really talking about what I, what I saw there and the sexualization of children and child trafficking. And, and then it evolved into this because I was always interested in this. But... What I see really is is a situation where we have to save ourselves, and though I wish somebody was coming to save us, or I believed, and, and I'm sure there's many good people out there that have plans and are doing things, but I, I believe without a unified message of not in our name, not with our money, we the people are done, uh, we will continue to you know be you know swimming upstream and, and not all getting together. Not in our name, not, not with our money. I'll tell you, I wish that there was an opt-out. I wish there was an opt-out. Every time that uh, April rolls, rolls around and everybody's cutting oh, checks to the IRS, every time we're cutting checks to the IRS, I come up, I, everybody probably knows when Frank has just paid his taxes and oh, he comes on air because <laughs> I am just really upset. I know. I'm really upset. And it's for no other reason than I get nothing back. Right. Uh, people like me, everybody out there who pays and all that stuff, uh, we are villainized. Uh, we get nothing back in return. It, it, whatever we do get is diminishing quality. Of right. the, I, I, you know what really pisses me off? Calling up the IRS. Calling up the IRS, getting put on hold, and they refer to you as a fucking customer. <laughs> exactly. Like I, you, well, yeah. You've I mean, got you've got nothing I fucking want. Don't call me a customer. Well, that's what I get a lot too. Just to me, it's so disrespectful. I and I feel this way about everyone. You work for me, you know. And and the, what you're saying is so important because I, oh my god, I paid forty six percent of what I made last year. I had to write a check for, and you know, because I'm still paying New York next year. I'll be 
hopefully more in Florida, so that'll be a lot different. But I have to tell you, I'm thinking, oh my God, I am paying for the destruction of America yeah. with my own money. And the worst part is, see, here's what, here's the most disturbing part to me about what's going on in New York. Because when I, uh, bef well, before I got into any of this, I was fighting something called Thrive New York City where de Blasio and his wife Ray, uh, took $850 million of taxpayer money to do, to help homeless and mentally ill New Yorkers. $850 million. And I had a good friend, uh, he passed away, DJ Jaffe, who was really in their faces. Like, he was a big mental health advocate, really trying to help. Not one cent, not one cent of $850 million went to help the homeless or the mentally ill. Provably, uh, they did some hearings with the wife. De Blasio's wife was running it. How come we never heard of putting homeless people that need help in hotels? You know, how come we never heard of that before? How come this is all about the illegals giving them housing and shelter and school and money and a hand up and all this stuff? Nobody ever suggested that for the mentally ill and homeless all over New York, 75,000 of them, all over our inner cities. We act like we, we, we can do nothing about it and it's a lie. Homelessness and all of this stuff that's going on in our inner cities is a racket. It is making the same people that are manipulating everything else a lot of money. And so, you know, I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm paying to, to not help people when the money that we pay in taxes could help all these people. There are solutions, just like there's solutions to energy. They want to turn off all our energy. You know how much, you know, you know how much oil and, and everything we have, resources on the in the United States of America that could be thriving? Well, tell me, tell, in yeah. the last two years, I know that they shut off, I know that Indian Point provided Manhattan with 25% of its power. <laughs> yeah. So over the last two years, what have your energy costs been like? Would you like to know what happened to my building? We got a D out of um, de Blasio in the ESG score. My building has an ESG score, D. They shut off our gas for the last, you couldn't cook, you couldn't dry your clothes in a Manhattan building for the last almost uh, 17 months. Our gas has been off in my building. Why? They said that we, we didn't live up to the ESG score standards, so they have to replace our whole building with electric. Oh. They're replacing all of Manhattan. This is not just my building. All over Manhattan. And, uh, and you know, these people, it, it's a total fraud and it's a farce, but that's what they're doing. And they're scoring our buildings. And if you live in that building and you happen to pay into the HOA or whatever, you are being scored as if it's your problem and now they want to replace everything with electric which you know what the truth about this whole electric and green energy and all that we don't have that kind of energy to ever sustain anything that they're talking about it's all a fraud so at the same time you know they're they're cracking down i believe that um honestly though i believe that new york and uh and california los angeles and new york city uh were already sold a long time ago uh, you know, my um, a friend of mine, and I'm, I'm waiting for the day to bring him on the show because he does, he's in a pretty, I don't know, he, he describes it as on its way out, uh, real estate and real estate management, especially properties in New York. Yes. And what he told me that how things were already changing, the business was already changing, but when 2020 rolled around and we started with the rent moratoriums and we started with right. all of the government money that was being made available to people, he said that what he was seeing that, um, I'm sure that there was fraud all over the place, but the people who was the people who were really defrauding the, um, the, the COVID funds were a lot of middle to upper class people. He gave me this one story, I had it over here, I'm saving it, 
I can't wait for the other uh, war stories here. But th- these are just a little bit of it. He said, I had my first housing court case today in the Bronx. It was the first, it was the building I managed versus a Jane Doe. The leaseholder of the apartment died in 2021. She was not in the apartment at the time of her death. People found out about this and stayed in her apartment, possibly family members who were not on the lease. Nobody has been in the apartment in the past six months. My super got in contact with the most recent illegal tenant and she refused to give up the keys because she needs to store boxes there, she said. The judge postponed our case to a later date because there was a processing error with the paperwork. Yeah. An illegal tenant is now using the apartment as a fucking Westies, and it's cost us $20,000 in rent, and we are paying the legal fees on top of it. He said that this is just one little snippet of the kinds of things that's going on in a real estate sense. And yeah. he, he said it, it is a how to, to describe it as a house of cards would be an understatement. He said that the, the city... It's going to completely collapse, maybe in a sense of private ownership of everything is going to be gone. Not that nobody's going to be waiting to scoop it up for pennies on the on the dollar. Right. I mean, it's going to. I mean, you know, you know, China owns most of Manhattan Manhattan now. (laughs) But um, yeah, you know, that's so interesting that you say that because what we found too, um, all during the COVID. I will tell you, and I have friends that uh, you know, because I I, my history is being a filmmaker, and I had a lot of friends during. COVID and people that were actors or musicians or writers or crew or whatever that um, wanted to stay on unemployment as long as possible, even when they could go back to work because they were getting the the PPP stuff and staying on that. And they didn't want to work because they didn't have to. And then a lot of people were taking unemployment and working and a lot of but a lot of people were not paying their rent. And, and people that did not that had income, people that were working, yep. people that were getting mm-hmm. loans, were getting the money, PPP money, all of that. And, and it was a lot of middle class, upper middle class, people not paying the rent. The hard part is that we have a lot of friends. Rob worked with a, a big, big um, a guy, a single, single guy that owns a lot of buildings, especially in the Bronx and other places. And what happened was they still had to pay their taxes. Mm. They still had to pay their the building's costs and, and the electric and the energy and all of that. And guess what? They lost their buildings to BlackRock and Blackstone and, and other other banks. Yep. A lot of the real estate, especially the mom and pop ones, were, were they had to give over the keys. Guess what? Those people continued not to pay and continue to live there. Uh, that didn't pay, and now are, some are paying again. Some, they're still pushing it. And I'll tell you another thing. Remember I brought up the um, Democrat Socialists of, of America, New York branch, AOC and her friends. They're the ones pushing it. I'm glad you bring her up because because bird brains like her, uh, while all this stuff was going on, these these moratoriums that they were voting for, right. they're knowing that that utilities and taxes still have to get paid, right. and and once the moratoriums were starting to expire, they were leading the charge on calling and labeling landlords as greedy, money grubbing right. assholes. They're they're losing their shirts. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is that they never take a, uh, take responsibility for is that even in the moratoriums. They're screwing people. Once yeah. once that ends, they owe all that taxes. Right. They, they had all, everything. It's accumulating. Right, and the backlog for the judges who are, the judges in New York, I, it's just, it's such a travesty, but the backlog for the judges and evicting somebody are two years, three years. And so these people aren't paying at all. And what's very sad is you have to wonder, where's the money coming from that uh, that makes AOC go out and say that because I'm telling you the banks are ending up owning most of the mom and pop properties. We know somebody who had um, 
the, the parents had had a multi-family dwelling in Brooklyn and uh, a couple buildings, but they were all multi-family. They lost the entire thing a, a year into COVID. And right now, I believe Blackstone owns it, but they own all these buildings all over the city that the, that the people that they were hand down through generations, it's over. And that, that goes also with restaurants that pizza places that were there forever. Yep. The banks took the keys of the real estate. And the other crazy part is that a lot of the commercial real estate is totally empty. So, you know, you got those two things going on. But, yeah, I, I mean, when they kept pushing the moratorium, we knew people losing their buildings that, you know, they've had in their family for 100 years. It was it was sickening. And, uh, and those people don't even live there. And the very sad part about it all is that they've created an entitled society that thinks that that's okay. You know, and I knew people. They were working, and they were like, "I haven't paid my rent in two years." And I was like, "Yeah, but those people are going to lose their building." You know, it's not, it's not CPM whatever or one of those big, you know, conglomerates that own a bunch of buildings. It's just a guy that owns three buildings in, in Lower Manhattan. Yeah. And they're like, "Well, it's not my problem." I mean, th there was a lot of callousness, and and the scary part is, a lot of the stuff that was lost, especially in customer service and in hospitality and in all of that, has not returned since it it, got, it went down the toilet during COVID. So now we have a whole new world of a uh, of uh, and and in Manhattan it appears that they replaced everyone in most places like um, stores and restaurants and everything where with a diversity, equity, inclusion hiring system that now nobody really cares. I have a lot of restaurant friends that own restaurants and stuff. They're like they're lucky if people show up. <laughs> yeah, and and then they can't fire him. Well, that, that that's the other thing around here too. I mean, there's there's plenty of people. Nobody can find nobody can find workers. Right. It's not the situation anymore to say, oh man, there's nobody can find work. You know, everybody's out there going door to door. I'll sweep your right, floors. Right. It, no, it's it's completely different. I mean, I, my uh, my buddy just he, uh, texted me. He said he's Frank. It's so much worse now. He said I manage seven buildings on my own. Twenty twenty oh. percent non pays. Can you imagine? Twenty percent, one fifth of every building is not paying. Um, De Blasio destroyed New York with his rent control rules. I get three point two five percent on one year lease. Anything I improve, I get one one hundred eightieth of the cost. Right. Uh, three point two five increase. He says I get three point two five increase on one year lease. Um, so th this is happening all over the place, and you you could bankroll as like you said, you can bankroll yourself through this if you're BlackRock, because BlackRock is essentially the Federal Reserve, right? And everybody, uh, it's. Um, I think they already said, but honestly, I think that that I think New York City is 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 a smart city already. I think people just don't know it yet, and that Larry Fink and his friends at the World Economic Forum and all that already tagged New York because it does not make sense what's going on there, and that the prices are so high. Who can afford that? Rent is higher. When I moved back from L.A. to New York, uh, a studio uh, with, in a decent area in a decent building was like $2,500. That same studio right now is four grand. Who can afford that? Nobody. So I bet you a lot of those are empty and they're owned by them. Or there are people coming in from, uh, from uh, I don't know where, but I'm telling you that, like, you know, also in New York, my, my life, you know, happy hour, packed. No. No, it's not like that. Lunch hour. Nope. So it, who, is, who is living there? Who's affording this life there? And then on top of all of that, what your friend's saying, and we have a lot of friends in real estate that you know, can barely hang on, but the other part is that they defunded the police. They have this new uh, illegals everywhere. And basically, 
you know, like I said, my building is, is totally an ESG score and they're all over the city like that. Mm. So, you know, put all of that together and I just feel like it's the controlled demolition of New York City and it's not coming back anytime soon unless we have a big, uh, you know, shift in this nation, which again, when you bring up Trump, my biggest thing about Trump is I think he's the only person that can do that and, uh, and, and really change the tide and start to you know, reverse some of this because I don't see anyone else that has the incentive. And I truly think that these bankers and this globalist billionaire class have sold out our nation already and we are a captured country. And uh, the New York City to me is the ultimate example. Oh, we have so much more to talk about. We really do. Um, I and, and let me just leave this here before we go into the second half. In the second half, I'd love to run through a whole bunch of stories together. Great. Uh, stack them on top of each other. Some from Hollywood. Uh, most will open up doors for cultural commentary. But um, but the other thing about New York here, and this was from our friend Wendy Mahoney over at Uncovered DC just a couple of days ago. Again, a follow-up to what they're... Uh, we're going to have the Audit NY people over here in the studio next oh, week. Oh, great. I met them in, in Batavia. They're awesome. Yeah, they're going to be in studio next week. And, and listen to this. It's just the first couple of paragraphs on this latest on Uncovered DC. Um, catastrophic loss of control, data breach, New York elections. They're pretty much saying that New York... New York is not just a problem for itself with its voter rolls over here. It is actually posing a national security risk. Yeah. That it's a, it's not a, it's a failed state. It's not a, it's a peer reviewed study in the Journal of Information Warfare confirms a loss of control breach has occurred at New York State Voter Database. A peer reviewed paper of their results in a respected journal is hard won and significant milestone, according to Marley Hornick executive director of ny citizens audit the audit of the voter rolls was led by marley hornick and andrew paquette phd director of research who submitted a paper to jiw jew um paquette, paquette co-founder of the international game architecture and design academy in the netherlands after a career in feature film and video game industries he received his phd from king's college in london uh in july of 2021 Hornick and Paquette assembled a group of volunteers in New York that had yeah. grown to around 2,000 individuals statewide to investigate the state's voter registration rolls. And she presented the group's preliminary findings to attendees at The Pit, sponsored by True the Vote in August 2022. Listen to these two paragraphs here. In her recent letter to New York citizens, Hornick explained the seriousness of the, seriousness of the group's findings. Quote, through auditing the voter roll databases obtained directly from state and local board of elections, we have uncovered millions of invalid registrations, hundreds of thousands of votes cast by legally invalid registrations, hundreds of thousands of votes cast by legally invalid registrants, massive vote discrepancies and clear presence of algorithmic patterns we reverse engineered from within the state's own official records. To be absolutely clear, there is no known innocent purpose or explanation for why these algorithms exist. I am told by cyber intelligence experts, they indicate a quote, total loss of control data breach. The most severe kind of data breach recognized by our federal government, the law says it renders the affected NY New York State voter database completely untrustworthy. Yeah. Listen, I don't know anyone who voted for Hochul. And I'm talking about hardcore Trump-hating Democrats did not vote for her. I'm telling you. I and uh, and this, is, this is such a problem. And then on the bigger picture is New York. New York. 
New York is a, is there's. I'm telling you, they sold New York. New York is a is a captured entity. That's I, but you know, I, I, we catch a lot of shit, and for good reason. Yeah. Because we are the heart of. I mean, we are the East Coast center of a lot of that metropolitan snooty, not in my backyard, liberal kind of nonsense. Yeah. Uh, we've got Broadway. We've got. Uh, I, I, I love Broadway, <laughs> Me but too. but you know what what what's got it? We got Wall Street. We've got all the big uh, broadcast networks on the East Coast. So I understand what people believe. The city, um, but when you you can't extrapolate that out to the rest of New York, a massive state that up until just a few years ago was capable of electing and reelecting Republican governors. Yeah, and um, and I I said, listen, you know, I know we got our problems, but I really don't believe that New York and California are as lost as we have just been accepting. Yeah, and I I guess once they get to the point where you accept it, that's why I told people in in Pennsylvania. They are tr- they're giving you the California treatment right now. Once Pennsylvania loses a couple of more big elections to Democrats, everybody's just going to say, well, it's a blue state now. Right, just like with New York. I'm telling you, I know a lot of Democrats who did not vote for Hochul in New York City. And uh, even, if, even if they had to hold their nose, they voted for Zeldin. And it was not even close. And at the end of the day, what's really saddest of it all is that I don't, I agree with you about New York. I've lived in both. I lived in LA for 17 years. People are not, this is not normal and the worst part about all of this is we know this about so many states I I think the entire election thing but God forbid you say that this is true because when that came out and I had met these people too um, and that's awesome they're going to be on they've done such hard work and we see all the evidence they're about to charge Trump for the phone call in Georgia when we saw Ruby Freeman and her her daughter pulling like suitcases out Uh, we just saw the video um, from Carrie Lake where they're going in and they're manipulating the machines and yet Nobody's allowed to say that. And there are a lot of people that say until 2020 is fixed, you know, why should we vote at all? I understand that. But I also, it's so debilitating. It's all meant to, you know, you've done it a lot too. Talked about Besmanov and the, uh, and the steps demoralized, dehumanized, normalized in crisis. We are, uh, we are way past the normalization phase. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, he was talking about, Besmanov was talking about that with G. Edward Griffin right. in the 80s. Yeah. He said uh, that we were already demoralized by then. Yeah. So, no, I, what are you talking? What are you talking about here? Forty years of normalization? Yeah. I mean, it's that's that's this is a serious issue. Um, that's why I think if we're going to talk about silver linings and things that are really we should be grateful for is a, yes, we have successfully decentralized the media. Yes. We have we have more than a fighting chance now with with uh, going forward as as independent media sources, and I'm talking about. Uh, conversation. I'm not, you know, I'm not a journalist. I, I read the news. I talk about the news with people. Right. I, I employ common sense, and hopefully it shakes out and it makes sense. And I take call. You know, there are people out there who are journalists that have just said, I don't need to go get a job at a network anymore or a right. big paper. But other than that, it is conversation. It's entertainment. It's things that we. And I want to talk about decentralizing and competing with Hollywood in the second half. Yeah, sure. But. The media has been a wonderful, wonderful thing that we have captured for ourselves. I believe that. Um, and then also, there is the um, there is the schools. There, you know, people like Corey DeAngelis. You follow him? Yeah, yeah, sure. Incre- we have really, because of all of the madness that's going on around us, we we fail to see just how many states have done incredible things for school choice. Right. How many millions of children mm-hmm. are now homeschooling? Right. I mean, when we talk about demoralization, crisis, normalization, 
to be able to break out of that means to be able to flush the country out with new um really well reasoned well raised and morally intact generations of yes. americans and we have those generations coming yeah and you have one thank god and you have a, a, a great see if i had a child your age right now i'd be excited to to raise a child that will make a difference that you know you're you're going to guide them and that's that's what's going on we're we're also friends with Sam Sorbo who's done a lot for homeschooling too and you'd be surprised how many people are homeschooling now and i think it's amazing these kids end up so much better off uh, than I ever thought and people have a big idea of what homeschooling is but we have friends in New York that pulled their kids out when they were because if you remember there was a, a programming going on they were trying to make all the kids um, before COVID uh, and it was Gates and the same people they were trying to make all the kids get malaria vaccines and my friend uh, that lived downtown he has five kids under 10 he pulled them all out of school him and his wife were no way she was already on to gates and the vaccine stuff and they started a homeschool collaborative in downtown manhattan with like four other families and they have kids of all different ages and they take everyone takes a turn they have some they chip in and bring in a tutor for this twice a week and for that and these kids are thriving and mm. it's just nobody ever thought about this when i was a kid i, I mean who would have ever thought that would ever be like normal and I'm watching these children and then you think well they don't get socialized oh yeah they do there's so much it's just it, it, if we do take the bull by the horn so to speak and decentralize ourselves uh, the future could be so much brighter but we have to understand that we have to do it ourselves nobody's gonna come tell you how to do it you have to take the impetus yourself yeah yeah and think about how how narrow the thinking is to, to say at this point well how are you gonna socialize your kids like what 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 did we like like the speed league we just crawled out of the primordial ooze uh, 75 years ago we have never done this before it's so like what, what the hell are you talking about right exactly. oh my gosh so there's so much ladies and gentlemen we're gonna go on a quick intermission uh, when we come back we're also gonna write Rifle through some of your super chats. Go to quite frankly superchat.com. Uh -huh. Leave some thoughts and questions over there. Also, Rumble Rants. Send on those Rumble Rants. Any kind of questions and things you want to throw into the, the grinder over here. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. It's intermission time, folks. Time out. Press the like button. Thank you. Quite frankly. 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 Qu
quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? You know, Mel, you were just saying how, um, what would, what, wondering what Norm Macdonald would be saying with all this stuff going on. I just saw a tweet that I, I think I'm going to make it uh, a part of the show soon. Uh, it was, who in the past, anybody, would you love to see on Twitter right now? And not, and not just people like Norm to bring him back and to have him around and to have him to be healthy and, and at the top of his game, but people like Leonardo da Vinci. Right. Like, who would you want to see laying down commentary on Twitter? Who, yeah. Do you have anybody off the top of your head that you can just pull from the ether right now, or you need some time to think? No, off the top of my head, let's think. Uh... I, I mean, like, I, I mean, I guess you can pull out the George Carlins or Lenny Bruce's, but they're easy. They were saying all the stuff that we need to say now. Then, yeah, so, <laughs> just so they would just be sick of it by now. Um, you know, there's so many people over time that would be good to hear from. I mean, some of them, uh, you know, even even Kerouac is like some of these people that were, you know, um, revolutionaries of their times. You know, it's funny what you're saying, because I was talking today, I was on with uh, Kunstler, I don't know if you know him, he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and we were in a show today, and we were talking about what happened to like anti-war music of the 60s and 70s. Like maybe some of those anti-war people back in the 60s and 70s, what would they be saying right now? Like I, I, I would have to think about it more. Hemingway, you know, he'd be all pissed off. Hemingway would be interesting. <laughs> Hem Hemingway, Hemingway spent a lot of time in the, uh, the Caribbean on his own boat with a Tommy gun and some grenades uh, during World War II. Yeah. He, he was trying, he was looking for German U-boats out there near Cuba. He wanted, he wanted to take them on himself. I know. Like a nut job oh, God, with yeah. his mojitos. Exactly. But you know, that, that would be interesting. Although I, uh, you know, I, you and I were talking about Hemingway and Fitzgerald, yeah. right? Yeah, I was saying we should do a, uh, cause I wanna, I'm jealous of it. First of all, I love both Dyer and, uh, and Robinson. And I'm like, I'm gonna do a book club. Yeah, but Hemingway and Fitzgerald. And then we realized that we both had that crazy book about their relationship. A lot of people don't know that. And how like, the, he, the, that, uh, they took the drive from Paris to, I know, from the south of France to Paris. And after that, their, their relationship fell apart. But, you know, the, that was a great time. So it's weird uh, because that was a time when people, uh, normal people, were disenchanted with America. It was called the expatriate movement back then. The uh, lost that, generation. Right. And, and it's kind of, you know, I was thinking the other day, I want to go dig back into what were they feeling at the time? Because, you know, it was around the crash of the stock market and everything. Maybe it's just another cycle of, of people saying enough's enough and trying to find a better way. And, and that's probably where they were then, too. I would love to dig a little bit more into it. You know, yeah. I, I don't remember anything about a movable feast. Yeah, that was um, about it. which which was all about their reasons and what was going on back then. I'd love to dig a little bit more into it because I know that there we had a there was a crash slash recession around 1918, 1919. Right. 
But, you know, the 20s, when they're all out there hanging out in Paris, you know, Gertrude Stein and, and all these people, yeah. um, it, 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 it's uh, that was a time where we were starting to roar. We had the right. roaring 20s over here. We had a couple of, a, a lot of different things were happening in the U.S. And uh, I don't know. I, I would love to jump back into that. Yeah. 2024, you and I, we got maybe we got a, I don't yeah. know which one we pick out, but we'll do one of their. Yeah. Well, Movable Feast, honestly, I, I wrote a long time ago a screenplay about this couple called the Murphys, and they were kind of, they had this Hotel America in the south of France, and uh, that's where they all hung out. So it was Hemingway Fitzgerald. It, the Movable Feast is written about the dinners at this, this couple's house, actually. And so is Tender is the Night in the beginning, and he didn't, I don't think, finish that book. I think somebody else finished that no, book. No, no, no. He finished Tender is the Night. But the he, last... He the last Part of it is is he he might have been like all wasted or something, but it, the the book at the end goes off off the rails. That book he didn't well unless he was writing uh, unless Fitzgerald was Fitzgerald was writing Tender as a Night alongside of the Love of the Last Tycoon, because that right. that's that's when some somebody definitely finished Love of the Last Tycoon. Yeah, for he him. was writing that when he died in Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah. No, Tender is the Night, no, I mean, he finished it, but it seems like he checked out, because the, the book is about this couple. My, my screenplay was really about this couple, the Murphys. It was um, Gerald uh, and uh, I forget the woman's name right now, uh, Murphy, and they, uh, they were very wealthy. The, the guy owned, his father owned Mark Cross, the leather company, and they were very, very wealthy, and they, were, they paid for a lot of these people, and their friends were like Cole Porter and Picasso and, and Hemingway Fitzgerald, Gertrude Stein, they'd all go to parties at their house, and these people were all, I think they felt creatively stifled in America. There was something that was like a create, they, they created these salons, you know, in the south of France, and these people funded a lot of it, and it's really an amazing time. I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people feel that way <laughs> right now yeah it's a, it's an interesting time to look into because the 1920s in france is that that i think it's the 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 only the other major period of time was that late 19th century uh la, the belly puck no yeah belly puck, uh -huh. um where you had another big explosion of almost like it, these little mini renaissances that were going right. on right Exactly. And I, I really I enjoy all that stuff, and I, I we got to do more of it. So, yeah, 2024. We're going to need a lot of things to distract ourselves in 2024, just to we relax. Are. We are. So we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, but I think what you're talking about now, though, I, I see a lot of signs of, of a cultural and creative and innovation renaissance happening because of the movement of people that want to decentralize right now. I just, every single day, I feel like somebody else is coming to me with another, like, Oh, I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna shoot this project, or I'm gonna do that, and it's totally outside of Hollywood. I'm so glad that because I grew up thinking you had to go there to make it as a film writer, or filmmaker, or actor, or whatever. You had to go somewhere, and now people realize they don't have to go anywhere, and and, and that it, that is exciting to me too. Um, somebody in the chat room, I I th um, there's probably a lot of people that are suggesting things, but I saw somebody said that Orson Welles would be cool to have on Twitter. Oh yeah, that would have been awesome. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's other people. Well, he had a lot of great story. He had. A, I I remember this one story he told about uh, a, a time that he and Hemingway got into a fist fight with each other, <laughs> and I love that story. Uh, he I a, love all Hemingway's fight stories. No, Orson Welles would be great. I, you know, it's like I feel like when I hear Orson Welles or even a Kubrick or somebody like they'd be so disappointed in what's happened to America. You know, they were already disappointed. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know who else, you know who was disappointed. Have you ever read really read um, Solzhenitsyn? No. You should read Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I mean, obviously the Gulag Archipelago is is a is a is a, is a giant collection and. It's his uh, the mo- most famous work there, but he was giving he was giving uh, commencement speeches in New England in the 1960s, and already he saw American culture. He was on a trajectory for disaster, right? You know, because we're already going through all those liberation movements in the late 1960s and 70s right. and all that. And here's a guy that came right right from the Soviet uh, the Soviet Union, where this uh, this. Um, uh, internationalist Bolshevism had really just enslaved right. people for a hundred years and still had many years to go by the 1960s. Right. But um, at that point, he was already checked out and he's, yeah. he's doing college commencements. So he says, listen, this has been a place that I've been able to run to, but I'm telling you, I see disaster coming. Yeah. And, um, and now when you look at Hollywood, first of all, did you hear that Al Pacino is yeah. going to be a father again at 83? <laughs> yeah, yeah. God bless him. God bless him. I do have to tell you. God uh, bless him. What about the kid? I know. I, I mean, God bless him that he can still have... <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, they got a pill for everything these days, Mel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I don't think about that a lot. Yeah, no. What about the kid is true. I, I don't understand any of that. And that makes me question what's what that's really about. But, you know, I don't know. Hollywood's just... It's so, uh, so tragic. You know, last night we watched... Um, she said the movie that the whitewashed uh, totally uh you know it, it reminded me a lot of the uh patterson netflix movie filthy rich about epstein that was a total whitewash mm-hmm. the she said movie total whitewash of the of the weinstein case i, I knew a lot of people that really were victim i mean the, the people were victims that were in it but there was hundreds of victims and not just of weinstein of that whole ilk of people but i'm watching it and i'm thinking the whole time um that whole Me Too movement, the whole, the whole changing of all of that, what really changed was was n- none of that. Like they were making it like these were these were such heroes and all of that. That was a hijacking of that business. But I really believe everything that's happened in Hollywood since has been um, has been towards where we are now. This totally uncreative totally controlled no nobody knows how to write a screenplay there's no plots there's nothing to watch it's all manipulation and mind control and and that seemed to be just such a bizarre time but i saw the remaking of of what really happened with me too movement through the weinstein movie and i just thought you know they're just gonna keep homogenizing keep lying keep making it and and the whole movie was about these hero women that you know broke the story and they had to start it off like trashing trump and bill o'reilly as misogynists like right. horrible people right. just yeah. to go into it to give the girl credibility and they made the girl the main girl i thought was so unlikable and it was like a whole advertisement for new york uh times by the way and all i kept thinking the whole movie was you know what the new york times didn't take down weinstein Somebody way above the New York Times took down Weinstein. And I'm watching this movie, just like a lot of the movies that we've watched that have repainted history in terms of, you know, even Air America or, you know, 13 Hours. These these movies that were repainting. And then I saw, you know, all of, all of that. And all I thought was, who really took down Weinstein? You know, who really took him down? Because it wasn't the New York Times. That is not true. 
it was somebody way above the New York Times, and it probably was closer to BlackRock than the New York Times. But I, I, all I thought the whole time, we kept thinking, like, these two girls did not take down. <laughs> I, I, like, I like that you're painting the, 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 all the president's men, which we now know probably wasn't exactly right either. But, um, you know, that it's really disturbing. That, Like I say, you're sick as your secrets. The idea that they took care of Weinstein and changed Hollywood forever, and now it's something else, is such a lie. I asked the same question. I asked the same question because I, I, knowing how connected this guy was, right. I always wonder because you know we 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 have our, we have our uh, I don't know uh, our gut feelings, and our confirmations in so many ways, and we know exactly who these people are with, how the money flows. We know the it's somewhat of the hierarchy of things, but you just wonder. What makes a guy like Harvey Weinstein, who was, you know, we have a mutual friend and we have a lot of mutual friends now, but Kathy O'Brien. Yeah. Kathy O'Brien blogged about being sat down by Harvey Weinstein as right. as pretty much a an agent for the Clintons. Right. Who was willing to put down a sum. Right. Of over a hundred million dollars, she said it was what, like seven, eight figures. I don't know what the hell it yeah. is. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars to right. buy her story, right. so that she cannot talk about it anymore. Right. And so I'm thinking, here's a guy who is an errand boy for people like the the Clintons. He sees down, you know, he's he's just Hollywood royalty, all that stuff. But still, there's always a bigger fish. And what makes a guy like that accept living? In a prison for the rest of right. his life, in a with a walker. That's the truth. That's what bothers me. What is, makes them accept it? Why didn't he flip? Yeah. Okay. Because I'll tell you what. Another another thing that's connected to that is Stephen Bing. Okay. I uh -huh. interacted with this guy. I know him. He was he was larger than life, major producer. Stephen Bing, Jeffrey Epstein, and Weinstein and Clinton created the Clinton Foundation. That's that's what most people say. The four of them were were thickest thieves, you know. And I look at Weinstein and I think, how did he not flip on the Clintons? Or did he have no choice? Or did was that Epsteining him? Is he just so scared of dying? Or his or his wife and kids? Though I he, I think he's a total sociopath, so I can't imagine that. But is he so scared of dying? I just I don't understand why neither Maxwell nor Weinstein flipped. That doesn't make any sense to me. I, something tells me that Maxwell is living a very posh life. In jail? Well, you know, we don't see anything about her. Right. I, every time we hear something about her, she is like the she's the captain of the softball team now. <laughs> she's the captain of the of the, of the prison softball I team. Know, I know. And you know, she's like Derek Jeter. Right. It, 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 and and I'm just like you know. So I know I don't really know what I believe about her situation and how much time she because even Jeffrey Epstein he was given 13 months of house arrest. You know, there's always just something there, and and she was really handling him. Oh yeah. So that you're talking about hierarchy. He she's above him. But you know, with the. Uh, Stephen Bing, this guy throws himself off of a, tw a 27th floor, and he was one of the people who went to Vanity Fair to get the Epstein-Clinton story shut down. shut down. We know about that stuff. So it's just, I want you just wonder. Yeah, and it, that he jumped off that building in the middle of Century City, I find incredibly difficult to believe. Mm. But, you know, that's the whole thing. The, the, the thing, I'm watching this movie, she said, and I'm thinking the whole time, the whole premise does not make sense it just doesn't doesn't make sense at all and uh 
he, nobody took down Harvey Weinstein that, you know, is, is some reporter, or even, the, or even the editor of New York Times. No, no, no. That came way higher up, and, and I just, I'll never understand why he didn't flip. How about Ed Buck not flipping? How are these people not flipping? They're not being given the opportunity to. They're being shut up mm -hmm. is, is the only answer. Well, you know, those prison, you don't, when, when you don't know who your prison guards are, too. Yeah. But I have here. I got some. I got some. Call, and I, you know what? I don't want to get too far away from the the Hollywood thing because I want to. I want to look at some box office news with you. Okay. Albert Frederick on quitefranklysuperchat.com says, "Good thing, uh, good thing. All these newcomer illegals can earn their citizenship by fighting for the United States in the armed services. It's a very exciting time. Maybe Jim Morrison would still be hip today while his father continued to sell out the United States. You know, I'd love to still. Uh, we have we've done a lot of Laurel Canyon." But we haven't gone that deep, and I'd love to do more of that. Yeah, I lived there. I lived uh, right above Wonderland, so uh, Sunset Crest. It was awesome. But they, there's there's all kinds of you know there's still bad stuff that goes on up there. The Hollywood Hills. I used to say you know those are I, haunted hills. Yeah, and I lived there before Uber. You know, before cell phone service. I mean, there's, there's still crappy cell phone service up there, but I would say to people, if you went up to the hills late at night with somebody you didn't know, you were literally putting your life in danger. And uh, a lot of, it's still very, I, it's beautiful and I love it. I love Laurel Canyon, but I'm telling you, that's a very haunted place. There's real ugly stuff and, you know, and the tunnels and stuff, which do exist. That's not a conspiracy theory. A lot of people know that. But um, yeah, no, I mean, there's so much to excavate there, good and bad, because I think there was a lot of cool collaboration between people there as well. But, you know, Hollywood is not what it seems at all. The music, the music was legit. Yeah. I mean, the the, the talent was legit, but you just, I mean, but when you consider all of the family ties, all of the military's, uh, yeah, you know, psychological operations, uh, it just, it's just really insane. Um, Smelly Weasel 23 says, Great guest, great convo, great way to end hump day. Uh, thank you both, and much love to Rob. We miss him so much. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's see here. Jessica Bauer says, So glad Mel said that about the election simulation. Gives a good reason to say, to say um, Whitney Webb is one of the most important people of our time. Uh, please, everyone, get to know her work. Thank you for all that you do, Frank and Mel, you too. All right. Well, let's go on over to Rumble. We have one Rumble rant I see right now, and that is from Crestmont Bear. It says, we love your show, Frank, even if you are a Tom Jones shill. Thank you for <laughs> the interaction. Yeah, I, I um, the other night I played a couple of short clips from the, the Tom Jones concert in Beacon, at the Beacon Theater because oh, wow. my mother and father went. Oh, wow. And she said she sent me a couple of clips of, of him uh, performing Delilah. And I, I had to, the guy's 83 years old. I'm like, this is, he's not lip syncing. And this is really, really great. And, you know, yeah. you just don't know about people anymore. So I said, watch him just be like some, uh, I don't know, like yeah. a satanic high priest. <laughs> I, I didn't get the memo and now I'm some kind of a shill. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Okay. Here's uh, some super chats over here on Pilled. Thank you, Sean Joe. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Witchy. Says, happy yeah. hump day, Franklies. Uh, thank you, C. Blanche. J. Jewel says, um, where the hell is it? Love you, Mel. Thank you, Frank. Both of you are the best. Ah, that's nice. Very nice. Sean Joe, Robert Sarns, PQuest, Doug Simmy. 
Uh, see Blanche again. Chai Possum says Trump has Agenda 47 that covers everything he is going to do when he's reelected. Uh, I, e I even have a calendar. Well, that's good. I, I, I read a little bit into it. A little bit into it. But, you know, like I said, I know what I'm doing. I, uh, I got, I got my, my, my plan all mapped out. And yeah. I just got to keep an eye out on how do we write the shows, Mel? We, are, yeah. we have other things. We've got to be good hosts and hostesses right. from now until then. Exactly. Thank you, Captain Flint. And thank you, Porpoiseful. All right. So first things first. This is from BoundingIntoComics.com. Here's a headline. Box office analyst predicts The Little Mermaid will end up being a box office flop, could lose anywhere between 50 to $100 million. Yeah. Now, I, um, I've seen some footage, um, and I want to watch it just for <laughs> kicks. Right. But I will, why, you know, why is it... Is it really just about the message? And at what point, when does the message completely fizzle because it's not being received and you're just losing billions upon billions of dollars? For Disney to have destroyed Star Wars, yeah. it is now starting to lose steam with Marvel. Yeah. Um, and for its legacy, uh, its its legacy properties that 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 were all um, that all happened prior to 1980. Uh, all they're doing is live action remakes where they're just race swapping and trying to get some kind of publicity through antagonizing the American public and making it political. They're destroying everything they have. Uh, but again, like the corporate suicide pact that's going on with Target and everything. Right. What is why is the loss of money so much? Uh, so does it matter? Does it matter? Well, you know, first and foremost, I mean, what, what I realized, what happened with me in early 2000, and I mean literally 2003, 2004, that's when diversity, equity, inclusion, all of this stuff, BLM um, mindset, all of that really started in Hollywood. And, and it started to become very clear that talent no longer mattered, uh, being a creative, being an indie, you know, I was even talking today when I first went to Sundance in 1997, um, it was still about finding talent. It was still about creating talent, creating networks, getting to know people. It wasn't a celebrity situation. And in that early phase of, um, of the 2000s, most of the writers and, and filmmakers and directors I know were having a similar situation where they'd go into meetings and they would be told, you know, oh, well, we like that, but can you do this or can you add that? And they, they people started feeling like something's really, really changing. And it was coming in from underneath. What I didn't know at the time was that was also the time when a lot of the studios and agencies took money from the CCP and a lot of it. And, and a lot of that was changing at the same time. And what I think happened was good writers. Now, it's, it's, being a screenwriter is a craft, and it takes decades. Being a, a playwright, you know, as a musician writing music, it takes decades. A lot of really, really gifted screenwriters could not get work. There was, the, there was the, a strike, and then when it, when it ended, they could not get work. And then when they would bring work in, it would always be like, well, can you change this? Or we're going to buy it and give it to somebody else. So it started to become the devaluing of actual talent, of actual people that could take a plot and tell a story. The gifts of Hollywood, the gift God gives people that have the creative sense to write a full movie that is going to change my hearts and minds and lives, they were being treated terribly, and, and, and then there was all these programs put in by GLAAD and other groups that were, you know, 
most people, when I, when I went into it, it was like, if you wanted to become a director or a writer, it took 12 years, 10 years. It was like, you had to be a PA and slave yourself and, and oh God, to become a director, to get into the Director's Guild or any of this was so hard, but you knew you were sacrificing it and it seemed worth it. Suddenly, a lot of people were being pushed over and I'm talking people, I have friends that created like Lost and other, they couldn't get jobs because they were getting skipped over for these new hires that were coming out of these like basically microwave programs and they fit all the check boxes yep. and after a while these people had to go find other ways to live other ways to and i just think that they sucked they they destroyed the talent model in 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 to do this kind of cultural revolution that i believe was really the underbelly was the ccp and the globalists and you know, and, and the real talent. And then they stopped really teaching it. And then, you know, a lot of the film schools also ended up, which I would never suggest anyone go to, or they paid off for 22 years like me and only learn when you get there. But I, I will say that um, the, the valuing of talent and creativity and all of that went out the window in the early 2000s, and it went straight to the message, the propaganda, and the control. And, and that's what happened. Well, you can, you, can, you can definitely see that there was a major drop-off around that time. Yeah. It uh, started going downhill fast. I mean, I see... Um, I, I think one of the... About the, about the Little Mermaid in particular, I did see some pretty amazing footage of fistfights that had broken out in the movie theaters mm -hmm. uh, during the showings of Little Mermaid, which I thought was fun. You, know, you, you see parents and children alike throwing haymakers at one another in the movie theaters with their... Fat flailing figures yeah. si silhouetted against the screen, which is even better. Yeah, and, and all and, and all all while this is happening, under the sea is playing in the background. <laughs> and and I you know I think that this is what it, what gets me, Mel, is that I love. I don't love it because it makes me feel empty inside. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, I, I we have to find something to laugh at. I really appreciate the juxtaposition, and we see this a lot now with with degeneracy all over the place. <laughs> if there's a, a brawl in a Walmart or something like that, so I really bad. appreciate the juxtaposition between superficially happy surroundings and these fights. Yeah, you know, like when people are brawling in a department store, and in like in the on the shelf, you see "Live, Laugh, Love." <laughs> Uh, you know, signs. Exactly. Or, you know, I, yeah. I was watching. Have you ever been to Rye Playland? Yeah, I was there. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, I just found a treasure trove of all of these old Rye Playland um, uh, videos. Videos from the opening in 1928. I was watching it with my parents oh, uh, last uh, uh, this past Sunday, day before Memorial Day. I got together with them, we watched the movie, and then I said, hey, well, you guys got to see some of this. So I showed them the opening of Playland in 1928. Oh, wow. And then I showed them some footage from the 30s and footage from the 40s, and then, then the color footage from the 50s. And, oh, wow. And we were watching all this stuff that just kids <laughs> that are, if they are still alive, they're an advanced age, that are just having the time in their lives. You're seeing just how things were, things were, um, were just handled with such care. The, the, the horticulture, I mean, the way that these flowers and the trees were, yeah. it was fucking pristine. And my father, you know, um, my father kept saying things like, you know, as we're looking at this, you see, see all those flowers that they're doing it exactly like that now. They're bringing it back. They're doing it again. And they are doing a lot of refurbishing at this, this park. But I'm like, and I, I held my thoughts to myself. It's not about the flowers, Dad. 
It's the people. Yeah. And, 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 and that is not some xenophobic dog whistle either. It's just average people had a lot more class. Yes. Culture. You're talking about a time where it could be in the middle of July over here in New York and men are wearing their hats and their jackets. Yeah. I mean, there, you, you can... You could put lipstick on a pig, and that's exactly what is a... That's the analogy for our entire culture right now. <laughs> it, is, it is. You know, I just... It is. It is, and I, I, I do look back at that. You know, the other thing is, when we were kids, you know, I used to go home from school, throw my bag down, and go, like, to the playground to meet my friends, or I, when I go back to where I grew up, you know, there's, like, this place we'd all meet in, uh, in, in Brandywoods Park, and it was, like, all the trees, and, you know, when you get older, you have people have sick packs, and you have a, you know, a boombox, and you hang out all night until, like, you have to go home, and all of that, and it's very sad that I feel like kids don't even... They're, they're so in their in their computers and in their hands and everything. And it's like, I, summer to me meant something when I was a kid. You know, mm. it was like summer. And now we're, you know, all the kids in the neighborhood and, you know, who has a pool and you, you the swim club or whatever. And it's like, it's just, I, I feel for these kids. I, I don't feel like they, um, well, you have to really work hard as a parent to have your children have a, a fulfilled, I think, childhood now. And, uh, and I really, that's why when they talk about the, I've, I've talked many times about uh, the cyber polygon and I see them talking about, uh, CBS News put on a thing like, white supremacists are going to take uh, hit our power grid or whatever. And that was it, from December. Yeah, and, and, but I just saw it yeah. again and I'm thinking in my head like, that would probably be good for the kids, you know, that the, if, if the power grid was hit, kids would have to find, figure out again how to, you know, show up at the park. Well, you, 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 know. and, you and Rob, uh, no doubt, uh, remember 2003, the, the, the power outage in August of 2003 in New York? I was in L.A. Oh, you were he in L.A. Was here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listen, you, you know, uh, maybe if the power was out for two more days, we would have started eating each other. <laughs> but for the time that it was out, it was, you, Pretty know, well, you know, 2003, everybody had phones and beepers, but there, we didn't even have texting. Right. We weren't even texting yet. So it was really just like very, very bare bone stuff. Uh, so, I mean, that was... It, those are some of those things where, oh man, the, the power gets pulled and you you have to improvise and you have to do things a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I, I guess like naturally again. Yeah. We don't have any kind of. We're, we're we're beyond that threshold now. Yeah. And I think about that too because I was I was watching. I saw that very same clip. It was Nora O'Donnell. Right. From MSNBC. It was from December of 2022, and it was a three minute segment about how. I loved it because they, they're, they're talking about how, listen, we can take out the entire Russia cyber attacks. Right. Russia could be coming after us, and all they needed to do is target three or four substations. Well, thanks for telling us all, including them. <laughs> exactly. That's number one. Right. And then they even mixed in white supremacy at the end. Right. I'm like, wow. It's like they... they they just squeeze every drop of blood from the stone they can. Yeah. Speaking of that, not to, to go back to the Weinstein movie, so I'm watching that, and I noticed that Ashley Judd, the real person who also testified in the trial, had a big part in the movie, uh, to playing herself. But they played a, a clip from um, the Women's March. Remember when Madonna and her went up there yeah. and, and did all that? And I, I hadn't heard it in a long time. And she's saying white supremacy, systematic racism, all these buzzwords that now we have been shoved down our throats, they were saying them in 2017 at the Women's March, but I wasn't hearing it then because I wasn't hearing it all the time. 
And it was like word for word, it was all like extremists, right wing extremists, MAGA extremists. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, like we, we just have heard it so much. That's what I'm saying about Besmanov and the normalization. It's all become so normalized. And and I think that there was a new new hit recently about the power grid, uh, and and that and uh, a newer one that came up, I think, with uh, Catherine Harridge recently, where uh, they were talking about you know that it's very weak. And you know, right now at this point. They're pushing these psychopaths that are running at the top level. They're pushing us towards World War Three, like you brought up. Samantha Power's all over the place, and we're all kind of acting like, yeah, they are. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. World War Three is coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the power grid, you know. And, uh, and it's so a matter of fact. I think most people are just like, you know what, shit or get off the pot at this point. <laughs> exactly. I'm waiting for the the, the dollar to collapse for 15 years now. I know. We're even waiting for, like, you know, you said that there's going to be this wave of, of, you know, whatever it is. We're like, just bring it on. Let's just let's just have it all happen. And then we can we can at least we can know that we'll be picking up the pieces soon. (laughs) I'm just I. Yeah, no, I hear you. you, NASA, uh, um, NASA is uh, they held a, a historic UFO hearing. Oh, I saw. I saw just in time. Uh, we, we've both talked about uh, Project Blue Beam, like uh, calling the aliens. <laughs> oh, well, you know, they, well, and I love how it's just like it's a it's a historic UFO. I have the, the thing over here. I love this. Uh, NASA holds historic UFO hearing. Agency unveils first findings from a study into an unidentified craft in our skies and oceans. As Pentagon chief finally admits, metallic orbs have been seen all over the world. He admits... That people have been seeing things all over the world, we know. Yes. We we uh, yeah, yeah. people people have been very adamant about saying there are strange things in the skies. Right. We don't know its origin or anything like that, but there are strange things in the skies. So I love it. It's a historic hearing, and they come out and they tell us, "You have been seeing strange things, right. haven't you?" It's like, oh, you fucking bastards! Exactly. I exactly. hate. I hate you. Right. Because <laughs> like, they're not telling us exactly what to think. They're telling us what to think about. What it, what to focus on. Focus over here while we're you know sending people all over the world. I mean, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. We the people have to say no more. Not in our name. Enough. <laughs> you know, like enough. Enough is enough. Yeah. I um. You know um. Well, uh, let me ask you something. Since we're talking about culture, we're talking about Hollywood, we're talking about media, and and of course the 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 new opportunities for people to really latch on to something with integrity. Yeah. Uh, there is a new Hollywood really bubbling. Yeah. Um, there's a there. I, I think that uh, stand-up comedy has held its own in its in this time. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've needed comedy more than ever. Yeah. But what are your some of your favorite entertainment um, interviews that you have done in the last couple of years. Have you ever uh, interviewed Mel Gibson? No, I've met him, but I've never interviewed him. Uh, I really didn't start doing this till the COVID lockdown. That would be good, though, to do that. Um, And I am a a big, giant fan of him. Uh, Lately, I've... uh, I've become, I, I know Jim Brewer pretty well, you mm-hmm. know, and he's gotten through all of this. So I, I did a recent uh, show with him. You know, we're both friends with Roseanne. Um, and I have a lot of filmmaking friends that are more producers and directors uh, that are behind the scenes. And, and what's great is to watch this evolution of people in Hollywood that were totally liberal leftists, like so caught. And one thing or another over the last several years, and so many people have moved to... Um, 
different places and are and are building studios. Mm. I mean, this is both for music and for film and TV and all of that. Um, but of a lot of the people uh, that I, I have met, it does appear that um, we have a situation where somebody, it's very difficult right now for the powers that be in Hollywood to raise money. So something is going on, but suddenly out of nowhere, it appears, the people that are outside of the matrix or have left it are able to raise money. So there's, there's, a, there's a big shift going on in terms of uh, decentralizing Hollywood that people on the front lines can't see yet. Um, well, you know, I would, I would, I would say is a really interesting graph that is not unrelated to that. It is the tumbling of stock in things like Target right. and Budweiser, Anheuser Busch. You see the billions of dollars that has been taken off the table there. It, it, it just goes to show there is there are billions of dollars that is just floating out there for anybody with a good idea right. that promotes healthy culture yes. that is waiting for you because people yes. are so fed up they're not they're not buying their beer in anywhere are you telling me that somebody who would refuse to buy bud light wouldn't pay ten dollars to see a good movie right yeah i'm i'm producing a documentary right now with a, a lot of people that uh we both know and it's about the military industrial complex and i'll tell you what when we first started talking about it because i wanted to get people i wanted to get a legit good Oscar level cinematographer. I want I needed to raise a certain amount of money to get people from LA that were and these people are straight up like they're not on our side. They're they were liberals, whatever. But once we started shooting and they started looking at the content and the material, then and they're my audience. I want a skeptical audience that is looking at my subject matter and thinking, you know, that's not true or, you know, because I I'm really digging into like what really what is the military industrial complex and who does it benefit because it's certainly not the people of our nation or any other nation and what I realized was at first these guys were like you know it's difficult to even they'd be like ah well if I do that I'll never work again if that goes up on IMDb you know nobody's gonna hire me or whatever now you know three four months into the project and at the time people were like well how are we going to distribute it are we going to distribute it nobody's going to put it in the theater nobody's going to do that but now i'm at a place where i can get meetings at lionsgate about this movie and i couldn't have six months ago mm. and and so what is happening too is there came a time you know it's like i think it was margaret thatcher that said the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money i think that it has come to a place in hollywood especially at the offshoots of Warner Brothers and Paramounts because they have a lot of little companies that people don't know about that they own production and distribution companies that they're starting to say well um, maybe that audience that you know did vote for Trump also has money you know and, and and that they'll come see something so when the agency that we were dealing with my director's pretty successful too they were like we want nothing to do with that we're not going to help you sell that whatever now they're like where's the project you know, how's it going? And it's like, oh, so now you realize that you actually need that audience. And I guess that's also yeah. a testament to um, that Jesus' Revolution doing well and, and some of these, like, movie or even Top Gun during Top, the... Top the, Gun yeah. getting snubbed. For, for, it, it's just like, it's so bitter. It, so was the, it was the only thing worth watching in the last couple of years. Or that anyone saw. Uh, it, it just... It, I keep telling people, watch it. It, it is... It is it uh, yeah yeah I know what you, exactly what you're talking about, but you know what? It goes beyond money there too because, yeah, you are isolating yourself financially, economically when you when you engage in these culture wars and and you're starting to lose. <laughs> but it's the energy. 
right. you you are losing you're losing the heart and when people put heart into something for example you think about how Donald Trump raised money in 2016 and how he spent half of the money that Hillary Clinton spent right Hillary Clinton spent two billion dollars to lose Two billion dollars right. just to lose, and in pretty embarrassing fashion too. Yeah, you know, um, and that is just a testament of where the spirit is and where it's dying, and that they can't prop it up with just you know devalued American bucks anymore. Right, that you need to have some kind of a a real spiritual investment in these uh, in, in these projects for it really to take off and even to be remembered. You don't want to make disposable movies all the time. They're all disposable now, and and yeah, and that's really important. You know, I was going to bring up to you the other thing is the um the once beauty of the oscars or of even even when i was young and i was my first job was at mtv and like the met gal it was it was so classy it was so you know and and what they've done and i'm sure you've talked about it too because it's part of the whole uh manipulation and the the demoral dehumanization thing they've made art so ugly and and fashion so ugly and every and beauty is 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 upside down. It's like everything is upside down, and it's waiting. I really do believe we have an opportunity if we can, if we can get a night. And it doesn't have to be everyone. Like it wasn't everyone in the you know revolution. If we can, I just feel like the the rubber band can snap back, and people can reclaim beauty and art and music and filmmaking and all of that. I really do feel uh, a lot of energy towards people reclaiming that. Because that has been uh, hijacked and stolen by demonic <laughs> forces, in my opinion. And I, I see that coming. I do. I, I, I feel positive about a resurgence of creativity and ingenuity and, and creation uh, coming as a backlash to the ugliness they've, they've hoisted upon us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you know, another you were talking about some of those smaller production houses there too, and another one that has caught my attention, at least as of late, is Angel Studios. Yes, they're the ones that they're doing the Jim Caviezel movie, The Sounds of Freedom. Yeah, I've um, been I've been dealing with, you know, he's a friend of mine, and I've been dealing with that. For, I was going to ask, I was going to ask yeah. if, if you've interviewed yeah, yeah. him on oh, this. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I talked to him a, a lot about a lot of this stuff. What happened to him in Hollywood is is awful and disgusting. Um, uh, but and it was terrible. I mean, he was treated terribly, and he's one of the finest actors uh, of our generation. Uh, his ability is is off the charts, and he's a real guy, and he really put himself and his heart into everything. Um, what really happened, I believe, with that movie is a they didn't want to make it to begin with, but once people see it, they're going to understand why. Because that movie doesn't just express what happened to you know to child trafficking and child sex trafficking. It shows you very clearly what happened on Epstein Island. Mm. And that's the part that bothered them. So what I also uh, believe happened was that they paid not to have it released. So we, we when we were first in touch and then I was talking to Jim and then I, other people and, and everyone was talking about it, people kept being like, there was, there was somebody, a force was holding that movie back. But I always, and I said this to Jim. Was like, it the studio involved, or they, yeah, yeah, are, the studio was involved, and and some other entities were involved. There was, it was just every. So time, who's the parent company of the studio? Are I they think on the Warner level? Brothers? Oh, so it, okay. Was I, I'm pretty sure that they are the ones that were shelving it. Okay, which so happens a lot. People have to understand this isn't unusual. It's just unusual because people really wanted to see it. They saw Hollywood. They saw the world, media, Hollywood, everyone take down Jim because he spoke out about child trafficking and some of the other things that were going on. And, um, you know, of course, they, they 
they went after him when he did Passion of the Christ. You know, him and Mel Gibson, these they're conspiracy theorists, all this nonsense. But um, you know, he the whole machine turned and dropped uh, Jim, uh, disgusting. And I said to him a long time ago, I said, you know what, the movie's going to come out when it's needed the most. And I really believe that there's, that God's hand is in putting it out right now when it is. And Angel came in and the way that they're setting it up. And July 4th, if people can pre-buy, it's more about getting the momentum out there and getting it into as many theaters as possible and, and really showing that, that there's a better model. But to me, uh, everything that happened to Jim and certainly the entire Sound of Freedom project uh, was under God's timing. And, and I truly believe that people are going to be shocked. I think people are going to mobilize to go down on that to that border. I think people, it's going to show you in your head, and it's not pretty, and you will cry, and you will be angry. It's going to show you in your head what really happened on Epstein Island. And, and to me, um, it is it is a shocking movie, shocking to the core. Have you been able to preview it? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Shit. It's unbelievable. And then when I tell you the acting, directing, music, everything is as good as it gets. That's why holding it back, this was the powers that be. And there's also the element in it of how they trap these children, how they how they manipulate parents, how they get them, and then once they get them, how they treat them. I mean, you, you will see up close and personal exactly why that border needs to be closed. You will see exactly why we need to have full disclosure of who partied on Epstein Island with the kids. And uh, you will walk away from that and you will never see a child walking alone again and not think where the heck is their parents. Yeah. I no, mean, this I, is I, the most powerful. I mean, honestly, like everyone's crying. And and li listen, I, I, I just need to say Jim Caviezel, uh, and I, I know he will, but he is such an extraordinary human. He is so brave and so, but I will tell you what we saw, your friends with Roseanne, what they did to Roseanne in Hollywood and what they did to Jim Caviezel in Hollywood is so egregious that I just really truly hope that not only does this movie take off and the resurrection take off and, and all of that, but Jim Caviezel is a true hero and, and we don't have a lot of those and uh, he's paid a huge price. So I'm very excited and I'm grateful to Angel Studios because it was very difficult to, for two years, uh, all I did was say, keep being like, so where is it now? How is this still not out? I know, I know. When I when I heard that this was coming out soon, I I was talking to Tracy actually about it. It was a couple of it was a couple of weeks ago on the morning show and she was playing the, the latest trailer. Yeah. And I said, I can't wait to see that. But then again, I have been I've been excited and you know, my, my heart it's one it's it was one of those excite excited where, you know, like for example, when Passion of the Christ came out. Yeah. I was excited to see it, but I, I w it was almost like a it was a you know your very reserved excitement. You know you're going you're going into something very somber, right? And oh, something this too. And something very this is real that too. And and only but, he could have done it. But I'll tell you, like uh, I and, said, and I was, these children in this, you're not going to believe with these children. They're they're phenomenal. The actors, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I said I was excited, but I was excited back in 2018. I said hey, this has been f three four years now. The minute you see it and it ends, you're going to know exactly why. And it's called it's called the sound of freedom everybody i know a lot of people are asking about it the sound of freedom it comes out uh it comes out in july yeah july 4th and there's a there's a pre-sale situation because angel studios 
uh, it's truly like angel investing. So you, uh, by buying your tickets now and going to Sound of Freedom movie, I believe it is, or going to Angel Studios, uh, they're really building momentum for it. And then, you know, every, every, to put it up in every theater uh, matters. I think this is going to go off the charts, but I will tell you, it is, it is something that everyone should feel they're obligated to go see. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not going to get any kind of Oscar nomination. It if, should. I mean, he's if if he's they looked over they looked over Top Gun, which was just <laughs> you know you know we just know and who cares about that though, um, because again, who they've got the money, but who's got the spirit? Right. That's the only thing that matters. And you know, to a lesser degree, this is how they treated Sly Stallone with the Last Rambo. Oh yeah. Because it was about it was about the cartels and trafficking children right. a lot of that and that was a, a lot more of a cathartic experience because he's just blowing up yeah he's just killing you know traffickers at the but, border hey and i've asked about rambo lately been like where's it where is rambo where are they where are the <laughs> where, are, oh, although where, are, where are the vigilantes where, where are the where are those guys but yeah no i mean i just really everyone out there if you uh, can do the the pre-sale of sound of freedom and show those those a-holes because everyone's going to, at the end of that movie, everyone is going to say, no wonder. Mm. Oh, man. I would love to talk to Jim Caviezel one day. If you could put in a good word with him. I will. I will. I will do that. That would be amazing. I will do that. Um, but Yeah, he's uh, incredible. He's been through so much, though. People have to understand, he paid a giant price for speaking out about child trafficking. A giant price. And, and you know what? He'll put it back into his work. And he's a phenomenal actor already. But... I got to tell you, uh, what Hollywood did to Jim Caviezel and more even the mainstream media is is unacceptable. And just I hope everyone goes and supports this movie and continues to support him. Well, Mel, um, where are you going to be next? Uh, I, I wish we had another three hours. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but I know that you. I mean, you, you guys... got to come back soon uh, too to my show. Uh, I will be in Austin and then Nashville and then Branson all in a row. So you can go to the MelKShow.com over there to the events page, and uh, it'll show you where I'm going to be. And I go everywhere. I'm going to the Villages in uh, in Florida, which I'm excited. I, I like the '70s '80s crowd. Uh, they're, they're, they really like talking to those people. They're really, really upset about our country. But you know what I say to that crew, the, the retired folks? I say, you, this didn't happen now. <laughs> this, happened, this happened when you were, when you were, you know, right underneath your nose. Yep. And now we have to to do this. So, uh, yeah, I go all over. We have a, a big event in August that I do uh, the reawaken events with General Flynn. So we have that in Vegas. And uh, we're adding things all in between because I, I honestly, I love going out and being around the people that uh, matter the most, which are, you know, <laughs> we the people. I agree with you. I don't know what happened to my voice. <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah, it's okay. Uh, it, 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 it was a kind of tickle in my throat that almost feels like, you know, when you eat a, uh, you know, when you eat a, an almond. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where the almond fleck came from. I haven't had an almond. <laughs> No, no. Uh, yeah, so that's really uh, that's the best part of it, and and it's so great. I'm so grateful because we've uh, we have a lot of friends in common, and we've developed um, kind of a, a network of people that I just know that they're doing everything they can to try to get the word out and keep people's spirits up because we re you do that a lot, and it's really important that people keep a sense of humor and and find joy and value what matters the most. Well, the fact is that I think in the last three years. We have been able, I mean, I've, I've been doing this show in one form or another since 2006. I know. It took me a long, long time to, to um, I, I, was, I was always, I was waiting for the audience to show up. 
Yeah. I was waiting for interest in society to build because you know there's some people out there who are doing it uh if you were on if you had really good am fm syndication uh infowars spent a lot of time building themselves right. up they were already like the, the the big ones out there but um it's been great it's been great to see the audience emerge and yeah. to be able to meet them. And then from about 2015 to right now, it's been great to be able to find um, and, and become friends with uh, new and budding uh, and developing hosts. Yeah, Because so now, now that we know each other, yeah. now that we know of each other, there's really no way to deplatform ourselves. Um, no. that, that's really the whole thing there. Um, you know, we, we go on each other's shows, we, we, know we, we, we share friends and audiences yeah. and guests and and you know you'll say to me or I'll, I'll send you like this guy once is great go have him on i do that a lot with sean at sgt report and and you know and we we all know the union of the unwanted people it's really been um amazing and this is how we're this is how you do it we've been talking about decentralizing finding outside the matrix and i i think there's so much momentum i really do i feel very positive at least about what we're doing and i encourage everyone out there too people say to me all the time i want to start a podcast just do it I never, you've been doing this for a very long time. I, I honestly, everything ended in, in March 15th, I remember, 2020, and I was like, I'll just do my own show. <laughs> so there you go. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are happy you did. Ah, well, the truth is I, I, I'm so grateful. I have such a great audience, and, and they're really supportive, and I know you do too. And uh, we're, uh, we're really building something that's, that's I think, better than what, what anything else that's out there, and people recognize it. People want the truth. The truth resonates. People want to hear the truth. They want genuine. They don't want somebody that, they, that is working for somebody else. They want you to bring Frank to the table every night, and they, they feel like that's, that is good for them. Yep. Uh, well, what, what was it? I, I, think, uh, I think it was Hemingway who said that she, the truth has a certain ring to it. He sure I, does. I think it was him. Yeah. Uh, he, but in either way, uh, either way we, we caught it, it's... I'm I'm just happy that you, I know that whenever you do swing back into New York, you'll have a place to to come and hang out with me for a night. I will it's so cool, Boom. and I'm so grateful. You well, know, um, good luck to you. I mean, continued luck to you on the road. Um, say hello to all the crowds for me. I say, will. Oh, by the way, my friend Frank says hi. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and then whenever you're free, guys, you know. I don't know. We got to find some other things to do. I know, I know. We will, and I want to talk about the book thing. And we're going to be in Florida, but we'll be back a lot and uh, travel. You, you guys are going to be very tan. Yeah, which is my favorite thing. You know, I, I never, I never bought into the sun's a problem thing. I'm one of like that Woody Allen when he's like, everything our parents said was good is bad. You know, college son. You know, I'm like son. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> No, give it to me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, everybody's like, I can put on your SPF 150. And, you know, it's just like white Benjamin Moore paint. Yeah. And uh, me, I'm just, I, I love the smell of the Hawaiian Tropic me too, me tanning too. oil. Me too. And we're both Italian. So we have, like, I go straight to brown. It's the best. That's what it is. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, and I hear this stuff. All, I, I love the smell of summer because me everything too. is coconut and vanilla. Oh, it's the best. You know? Yeah, that's why I said when I think about kids now, I think, go, go find summer. Summer was the best. That was the best. Well, yeah. you're the you, best, sir. Mel. The MelKShow.com. I can't wait for the next time. Uh, let me just make sure I get all of my super chats here. Uh, Dark Great. Heart Hemi says, UFO disclosure, didn't uh, they say it's Green Beam Laser Tech? Sorry. Matt Toy or Cat Toy. Yeah, cats. 
Yeah, the, the laser pointers over there in Hawaii. I don't know. Uh, Zoso Dude says, what a fantastic guest. Bring her back soon. As so- Hey, as soon as she's around, I mean, she'll, she can always call in, but, you know, this is great to have somebody in the studio. And I thought uh, when we built this place, we would always have interest for people to come to New York, but now there's less and less interest for people to come to New York. <laughs> It's like, damn! I, we always have some, some kind of a tourist attraction. Yeah, but, but you have the you have the setup here. You know, like you can have a you can have a whole party in here with uh, five different people. You're I right. know you do it sometimes. And sometimes we do. I know. Uh, okay, Cardo says I would be interested in hearing what Art Bell had to say if he were still with us. Art R.I.P. Art Bell. I know, I know. I, I and I've never listened to one of his live shows before. I've only listened to re, to uh, reruns. Flee Flo, uh, free flow travel says hi to my favorite NY truth tellers. This is from Cal from this California girl. Thanks Mel for awakening the history buff in me and for sharing the light on Hollywood in LA and turning me on to Frank, a beacon in his own right. Aww, oh, that's very nice. So nice. Yes. Um, uh, Poso for hope says I just invested in a game uh, called Noah. A game called Noah? Well, I don't know about it. So give me I don't know about it. Send me send me a link. And over on quite frankly superchat.com, we are all caught up. All right, ladies and gents. Uh, that be it. And with that, tomorrow is Thursday. I will see you then. I will see you then with uh, with bells on. Thanks again, Mel. Thank you, sir. I all appreciate right. it. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters. Starting with Albert Frederick, Smelly Weasel, Jessica Bauer, and all of our wonderful friends over there on the Rumble Rants, and now on to QuiteFrankly.tv, where I will unleash the scratching. It is Wednesday night, ladies and gentlemen. That means it is Rabbit Hole Wednesday. So get on over to QuiteFrankly.tv and travel down many, many weird rabbit holes for the rest of the evening. I will see you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock p.m. over here on QuiteFrankly.tv and elsewhere. Good night, and thanks again. Just a little bit of a reminder, a word to the wise, if you will. Do not worry about the worries from yesterday. Leave it in the past. Move forward with confidence because there are so many new things to be experienced today. New joy to be had. So move forward, be strong, and have a great rest of your day.